comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, Episode 70. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. Today's episode, we have a conversation with Harold Jennett and his Shelter comic anthology project. And then after that, I got some goodies for you. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. A couple of notes. Um, going back to some previous episodes, episode 68, I had mentioned when I was watching CBS Online that I was not able to watch their rotisserie of shows via online. I watch like a lot of my um, television through my iPad and through Safari, because at the time there's no CBS app. Through Safari, the only thing you could get is clips and not full episodes. Well, come to find out on the PC, if you use your PC browser, you can watch full episodes of pretty much all the programs that CBS has available at this time, so that's my bad. So I wanted to make a correction on that. Uh, one of our listeners gave me the 411 on that via Twitter. So, uh, Mr. Haas, thank you very much, sir. Also, just so you know, um, this whole month has been sponsored by Action Lab Entertainment. We've been pushing real hard to get our three signature series books out there to the people. Right now, all three books are available for pre-order. Monsters Are Just Like Us by Super Ugly, Spacetime Condominium Season 1 Trade Paperback by Dave DeWanch, and XO one and the Rock Solid Steel Bots, written by me, along with Adam Bezignotti, and featuring artwork by Daniel J. Logan. All these books, um, they are signed, numbered, and limited to 500 copies each. If you want to know more about these books, you can go to actionlabcomics.com, and we have information on each book for you to look at. It gives a synopsis of what the book is about, uh, preview images, and the whole nine. And all the books are affordable, and you're getting a lot of content for what you pay for, and they're all discounted on sites like TFAW, Discount Comic Book Service, or you can go to your local comic retailer and ask them to order any of these books for you. Once again, they're signed, numbered, and limited to 500 copies apiece. Well, before we get to our featured presentation, I just want to wish all the listeners and fans of the PKD Black Box a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year or Happy Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Festivus anti-life equation, all that other stuff. No matter if you celebrate or whether you don't celebrate, um, I want to say thank you for being, you know, you know, great listeners. And to new listeners, I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast and go back and listen to our old catalog of episodes and stuff that we've done. Uh, you know, between myself, Tales from the Attic, Carol Chronicles, there's a lot to listen to. And we're thankful for every single listener that we have. And we do appreciate it. And there's more to come next year. This will be this will be the last PKD Black Box for the year. Um, in January, we will come back with new episodes. I'm lining up more interviews for 2012. You will have the final Tales from the Attic Christmas Craptacular episode this Friday. Christmas Craptacular Volume 2 Episode 4 will be released this Friday for sure, so be on the lookout for that. Then after that, we are taking the week off because we have busted our butts for the month of December, and um, you know, plus we want to enjoy the holidays ourselves. So, But thank you for being uh, such supportive listeners and um, wonderful people. 
can't say thanks enough. This has been one heck of a year. And with that, now our feature presentation. Well, tis the season, and as we all know, during the holidays, it's a time for sharing, it's a time for caring, it's a time for giving. And the gentleman that I have on the line right now, you've heard him on the PKD Black Box before, but now he's back with uh, Creative Compassion uh, Productions to not just to bring out a comic, but to also help those in need. It's called Shelter. The creator of the Shelter Project is the one and only Harold Jennett. Uh, Harold, how you doing, sir? I am very good, Sean. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, doing good. It's nice to talk to you again. You too. You've been working on this project, Shelter, for a while. Uh, you had mentioned it in, in on Twitter. Um, you sent me emails about it. We talked about it for a while, and uh, you sent me the uh, the final the, the final work, and it's under the Creative Compassion banner. But can you tell me what is Shelter and what is the purpose of this comic? Uh, well, Shelter, it's a 52-page black-and-white uh, comics anthology, uh, and it's got work done by, oh gosh, I'd say over 10 creators. We got five stories in it, a lot of good stuff in there. We have stuff by Andrew Charapar, uh, Keith Cunningham, Jay Fife, Moses Garcia, myself, Ryan King, uh, Elizabeth Amber, also, uh, Adam, oh gosh, Adam, I apologize if I slaughtered your last name. I believe it is uh, Markowicz, uh, Chris Marin, Stephen Orr, Dean E. Stahl. I don't know why he put the E. Usually Dean's just Dean Stahl, but he put the E in there, and I'm going to say it. Uh, Mark Stegbauer and Tom, is it Tom Zoller? Yes. Zoller. Um, of of uh, Love and Capes fame, actually. I didn't know that until I uh, did his bio, and I was like, wow! Um, but yeah, we have a lot of people involved in this, and all these people... Uh, well, let me start a little bit farther back. Let me say how this all got put together. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was uh, with my family on a trip to uh, Washington, D.C. We were visiting my cousin, and we were just coming back from the, muse- from the, uh, from the museum, and traffic is crazy around there. Just l- little little uh, pro tip for you. Uh, if you're there, you're going to either need your GPS working overtime or you need to have someone in front of you that knows where they're going. My situation was the latter. My cousin and her husband were in the car in front of us and we're zigzagging through traffic. And uh, at one point, and you know how it is when you're following someone in traffic, you don't know where you are. You're pretty, you, you stay with them yes. no matter what. Uh, there could be UFOs coming to kill you and you will keep going. But what happened with us is Hallie saw outside of her, uh, her window of the car when we're at a stoplight, her first homeless person. Uh, there was a gentleman holding a cardboard sign. I uh, said, I will work for food. And Hallie said, she just, she started crying. She said, daddy, we need to help him. We need to help him now. And as she was doing this, the light turned green. And if I had stayed there and we had gotten the money out and, and, or done something, um, then we would have gotten lost. And so I said, Tony, I am so sorry, but we need to keep going. And she was um, unconsolable. Mm-hmm. She was so upset. So we had a bit of a drive back to uh, my cousin's house. And as we're going, we're talking about it. I'm like, well, honey, honey, I promise when we get home, we'll do something. We'll do something to help, help homeless people. Um, and she was just so upset. And so I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And, well, I, I could help at a homeless shelter and I could... You know, I could give money, and, and or I could, I, you know, I could, I could donate some food, and those are all good things. But I just kept thinking, is there something that I could do that 
you know, only I could do, you know, that I'm specially talented for. And I thought, I can draw a pretty good story and write a pretty good story. So, you know, it started going through my head that maybe I could do an anthology uh, with a bunch of other people and uh, sell, it, sell it for charity uh, for the homeless. At first, we were going to just do it, um, me and a couple other people I knew. Um, but then uh, on my sketch blog at the time, I you know, mentioned what I was going to do. And I got a ton of offers to, uh, to help out with the book. Um, I, I believe uh, Elizabeth Amber Love was the first one. Uh, and Chris Marin, uh, a whole bunch of people. In fact, there was a couple. At one point, I had to turn people down because I just had too many people uh, to fit in. Uh, I think 50, yeah, 52 pages is Kablam's limit for a, for a comic. So um, I just got all this help. So that's that's how this started. So we've been working on it for, like I said, over a, a year and a half. Uh, we've got all the stories together, and uh, I'm real proud of it. It looks it looks beautiful. Um, some of the creators I didn't know, and uh, when I got their artwork, I was just blown away. I was just really really impressed. And there were some of the, some of those guys. Um, they didn't have that much time, and I was. I even, you know, I even said if you if if you don't get it done, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But they made sure they got it done. So um, we a lot of really dedicated people involved in this project. So that, that's what we're doing. Uh, we've got stories about uh, ranging from uh, walrus hitmen to um, to detective high school students to. Uh, Oh, I almost spoiled one of the stories <laughs> describing it to us, uh, space cowboys. Yes, uh, and then we have a couple of serious stories. Um, in fact, uh, uh, we have we have some stuff that actually um, talks about homelessness, yes. um, and I think in a very sensitive and uh, touching way. Yeah. So uh, that's what we got. Now, when people like purchase the book, the proceeds from the book, where do they go? Okay, good question. Thanks for asking that. Uh, all the proceeds are going to go to um, to Food on Foot. Uh, what Food on Foot is, is they're a group that basically, um, instead of just giving out money, and that not that's bad, or instead of just providing food, they're helping people that are homeless actually get to a place um, where they actually have, they're self-sufficient. They get their own job. Um, they, they It's it's a step-by-step program um, where... Well, you, actually, it's better if you actually just look it up uh, at foodonfoot.com. Um, but they, they it, it, I would not do it justice. But the program they have is really cool. And basically, it's just different steps. Like first, uh, they basically have the people that are homeless do some stuff themselves to kind of, I guess, earn what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it sounds bad, but it's not. It's basically, it's slow steps. The first thing that they would do would just be uh, something very simple where, you know, they maybe help out with a, a very quick project, maybe just cleaning up some litter or whatever. Um, and then, you know, they feed everybody, take care of them, but then they slowly start doing a little more and a little more. And it's just, it's great because it's trying to help them get to where they're self-sufficient rather than this, than keep giving handouts. Right. When, when dealing with a project of this scope, like you said, it's a 52-page comic, um, about five stories, and, um, you know, and they're all, they all vary in length. You know, you did one of the stories, but you're dealing with a set of writers. Like, you know, you're dealing with, like, five writers. You're dealing with, you're dealing with various art teams. How are you able to keep this project together under a time, you know, under a certain timeline in order to get this done? You know, it actually wasn't that hard um, because everybody was great about it. And when you do an anthology, that's not always the case. 
I was very blessed in this situation. Um, it also helped that um, that we had a year and a half. I think it helped that everybody had plenty of time. Um, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, one of the one of the uh, guidelines I had set out was, or one of the boundaries was, I, I like I said, I'd done this before, and it can be kind of stressful towards the end. And I kind of learned a bit from Sean Gabber and the way that he does short stack. Mm-hmm. Whoever has stuff done, that's who's going to be in the book for uh, the the publication that's at, going out at the time. Uh, I probably made that sound overly simple from simplified from what he does, but anyway, I basically. The way it was going to work was whoever can have it done in a year and a half by this date, that's what will be in the book. But the thing was, everybody hit the deadline. So to be honest, it was super easy. All I had to do was um, I caught a couple of of typos. In fact, other people caught a couple of my typos. Mm -hmm. And and I also – I think I had to reformat a couple of of pages so they fit. But really, it was – it was a cakewalk. It was really not much of a problem at all. So I, I would I would like to say I'm a genius and I did a great job corralling <laughs> all these people, but I just worked with a lot of quality people. And these guys, they found a lot of uh, they found some wonderful artists. And none of these guys asked for a cent yeah. out of this. All this money is going to go directly to the charity. Um, the only money we get is to pay for the printing of the book and yeah. shipping it to me, and me shipping it to uh, to our customers, to the readers. Right. wearing a lot of hats and and we've talked about this before we may we probably more likely have talked about this before in the past especially when you're doing things like geek syndicate the comic and now with this with shelter doing this you know you're you're the editor-in-chief but you're also penciling and inking and doing gray toning on your own a story that you're collaborating with a writer you're also you know taking and working with all the other art teams and they're trying to get their stuff done you're looking over and proofing stuff they're looking over and proofing stuff and you're trying to get this all lined up and like you said everything aligned to where it needed to be i'm looking at some of the stories right now and i've read this a couple of times like the one story that truly that really stands out and it's no more than four pages like one to you it's no more than four pages it's a story called sweet charity uh, it was written by chris murin and it was art by has art by um adam markowitz adam is a pretty amazing artist and for him, yes, he is. And for him to, you know, and, and everybody on this book, you know, has you know talents that benefit benefit to a story. Like, say, for instance, your story, Flowerhead, which is one of my favorite stories in the book. Um, to, oh, thanks. No, it is. Hear that, Moses? <laughs> Moses Garcia, you're the writer. Hear that? Your it, first review. It's get it's, excited. It's one of my favorite stories in the book. But like, but like from a. Um, but from but that's a longer story than Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity's four pages, and what's done in four pages with the artwork of Adam was great. And you know, yes. and, and then when I look at that, I'm like, why haven't I seen this person in other stuff? Why haven't I seen this person working here? Why haven't I seen this person working there? Trying you know, putting these putting these teams together, you know, like I said, there's always a pro and con to everything. But with that story, that was a job well done. So you know, but I digress. I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get back on track. Now, how long are you going to have a shelter available for for sale? Well, right now, um, this is kind of a uh, get-the-book-early uh, situation. Um, uh, I also have it set up to uh, solicit with, uh, with Discount Comic Book Service. Yes. And, uh, but 
I do need to, uh, we're, we want to order some copies for um, uh, the creators uh, because some of them want to take it to conventions with them. Yeah. So they're going to they're gonna, um, get some copies for printing cost. And I thought, why not just start asking people who wants a copy now? Um, so what's, what I'm doing is uh, if you want to email me, you just go to haroldjeanette.wordpress.com. And uh, there's a uh, some, right in the menu bar, I believe it's the second one over, it says order shelter. Uh, go there and I have all the information you need and you can email me. I will, uh, it, it's kind of grassroots the way that we're doing it right now. Uh, but you can email me and uh, I will send you a, a PayPal request. And um, I am taking requests for the, for the book until January 16th. Now there's two different ways you can get the book. You can get the hard copy, uh, that's $6 plus dollar shipping. Right. Uh, or you can get for $2 the digital copy. Uh, it's a digital PDF, and you'll get that right away as soon as I get the payment. And as soon as I get the email, I will give, send you the link to the book. Ah. Uh, but, so that's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, but the hard copy, like I said, that's up until January 16th. Now, once I do that and I get those books um, and they get printed, that's the way that Kablam works is uh, once that's done, Indie Planet will then have shelter. And then anyone can order it off of Indie Planet whenever they want to, uh, without going through the Herald middleman. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, eventually shelter it'll it'll be set up there. And uh, so there'll be a couple different ways that you'll be able to get it in the future. And I, and uh, hopefully, I will have it at Super Show as well. At the time, in doing Shelter, you were working with Stephen Orr on the Variety Smack webcomic, which has currently been put on hiatus because of all the projects you're doing. But it's still good. But it's still good. I, I didn't I, I didn't say it was bad now. I didn't, say, I didn't say you did. Okay. But you do all this stuff, and I know we had talked a long time ago about trying to balance out you know, being an artist, being a creator, being a family person, having time for yourself in doing all this, has any of that changed for the better or for the worse? Well, I think what I have learned, and like I said, um, everyone that worked on this book has been a dream. Um, so I'm not saying this is, does not reflect what I'm about to say, but, um, I, I've just been learning that, um, because I have two kids and my wife and a job, and things aren't easy right now for anybody. So my, my wife uh, is uh, she's got her part time job, and uh, I've learned that in the future I actually need to do some stuff that is not deadline re- deadline re- deadline reliant. Try to say that three times fast. <laughs> I guess that's what I've learned. I've learned that I mean I could if I wanted to, if I really wanted to, I could sit myself down and I could I don't know do a web comic twice a week. Um, but when I'm sitting down doing that, I think of the fact that my kids are only going to be little once. Right. So I think the webcomic and the stuff like maybe a monthly or bi-monthly book or even a quarterly book, that might need to wait until my kids are older and they don't think dad's quite so cool anymore. So I think that's what I've learned. I also learned that I say yes to way too many projects because I get excited and I think that sounds fun and that sounds fun. Uh, what the guy said to Tom Cruise and Top Gun, you're writing checks your body can't handle. And that's pretty much what I've been kind of doing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so that's that's in the future. Uh, I'm going to be working uh, with uh, Stephen Orr on a uh, a original graphic novel where we can take our time and get it done in the time we both have. Because Stephen's got a, a family and two jobs too, so he's a busy boy. Yeah. 
Uh, so that, that's how I'm handling it now. But I, I, I could uh, I could stay up late and not sleep as much, but uh, that, that doesn't work for me. I get Harold becomes an emotional boy yeah. when he doesn't sleep. <laughs> you know, you work on comics. I work, you know, you work in comics. I work in comics. We both have regular full-time jobs and we have married lives, like you said. And the thing is, a lot of what a lot of people don't understand about comics is that it takes a lot of work to produce a comic, period. And I think sometimes a lot of people take that for granted when they see it. They're like, oh, cool, the latest book is here. And for some folks, that's hours, weeks, mm-hmm. month, or months of labor put into that. So, and sometimes, like, it's kind of like the vending machine thing where people constantly shake the vending machine to get something from someone. And, you know, but sometimes we don't really look behind, you know, we don't look behind the scenes and say, you know, there's a lot of production behind all this. Oh, yeah. First time I started doing this, um, Gosh, when I finally got my first 22-page uh, story done for someone, it's like, oh my gosh, so much time went into this. And I, and I, re- I, re- I would read a comic. I'm like, wow. It, goes, it was, five, what, 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. It, it probably took me about six months to, to do this 22 pages with the time I had. <laughs> What a lot of people fail to understand is, is that every a lot of people think that comic creators are rich. <laughs> and, oh, let me, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And I, and I shouldn't generalize, but many feel that if you make comics, oh, you must be doing all right. No, son. <laughs> you know, it's it's not. Let like me that. tell you a story real quick. When I, at, at the job I'm currently at right now, someone knew I could draw, and she said, "You should do your own comic and become rich." You know, like it's that quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two-step process. Draw your comic, get rich. Right. It's, it's, just like, it's like the underpants gnomes in South Park. You know, step one, collect <laughs> underpants. Step two. <laughs> step three, profit. They're like, well, what's step two? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not that easy. It is not that easy. So that's why I, I commend you on doing these comic projects for charities. Um, you know, I, I commend you for that because it takes a lot of hard work to do to do stuff like this. I mean, when we've met and we we've known of a lot of people that will start something and not finish it. And so, you know, I respect you for finishing this and trying to do something, you know, for others. And, and you know, that, that's really noble. Now, to just just to reiterate, um, Shelter, it's a 52 page black and white comics anthology whose yep. proceeds are going towards Food on Foot, a non a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing the poor and homeless of Los Angeles with nutrition with nutritious meals, clothing and assistance in the transition to employment and life off the streets. Yes. And so if you want to know more about Shelter and how you can order a print copy or a digital copy. Um, go to Harold Jennett, and that's H A R O L D J E N N E T T dot WordPress dot com to find out more. And currently, he is accepting orders for the book. Um, in the near future, DCB Service will be uh, DCB <clears throat> DCB Service dot com will be taking orders for the book, and copies will also be available through Indie Planet. 
That is right, Sean. If I could just say one more thing, yeah, real yes. quick. I kind of, I kind of feel like I might have skimmed over <laughs> the creators and their stories a little too much. Uh, it won't be too long, but no, let me no, just say, talk, talk, please, please. Just give you a little synopsis of what you're getting. Uh, the first story is uh, by Andrew Charapar and uh, Stephen Orr, and uh, it's about a walrus hitman in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, this is actually a character that Stephen's been writing uh, in his own blog for a long time. Uh, but this is a great story. It's very funny. I believe, and uh, Andrew just knocks it out of the park every time. So we got that, and then we have um, the story by Chris Marin and uh, Adam Markwicks, and if I got that wrong, once again, I apologize, um, which is uh, a story about the homeless. Uh, I don't want to say too much more than that, but it's it's very touching. Um, our third story is by uh, written by Moses Garcia, and this is his debut as a comic book writer uh, and uh, art by myself. And this one is about some space cowboys um, in a bar. When some surly, uh, surly bad guys come in, uh, things get a little crazy, and uh, and get the book to find out some more about that one. People get punched in the face. Yes, a lot, and that was the best part to draw. <laughs> um, also have a one pager by by uh, Dean Stahl, and this is also. Uh, uh, it's presenting uh, the homeless situation. I don't want to say anything about it because it's one page, and to give you a synopsis will kind of ruin it, and it's very touching as well. Um, and we also have a story by Elizabeth Amber Love, and uh, it's a high school detective story. Uh, it's kind of got a very Veronica Mars feel to it. Um, not so much with a lot of punching and kicking, uh, but it's 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 actually something that would be right up my daughter's alley, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Uh, it's kind of got a, a Nancy Drew vibe, um, and the artwork is by Jay Fife. Um, we got uh, inking by Mark Stigbauer, and uh, Tom Zoller uh, does the lettering. Uh, and so that's that story. And then we have finally, last but not least, uh, we have a stale popcorn uh, special at the very end, and that's by uh, Keith Cunningham and Ryan King. Uh, Ryan King co-writes it with Keith, and Keith does the artwork. Uh, Keith also does a, a, a very funny uh, webcomic called Stale Popcorn at uh, stalepopcorncomic.com. But that's what we got. All those stories, 52 pages, uh, print copies, $6 plus $1 shipping, digital copies are $2. If you go to haroldjennett.wordpress.com, you can get your copy, and all proceeds will go to charity. Um, once again, Harold, uh, very noble of you to do something like this, man, and I give you props for that. And oh, um, you know, and, and continued best on this uh, project. Thank you, Sean. All right, now, is there any other thing that you need to plug before you go? Oh, not right now. Like I said, um, well, in the future, uh, hopefully, Stephen and I will get back on Variety Smack, and uh, that if you want to check out what we've gotten done so far, it's uh, VarietySmack.blogspot.com. I, if you want to come to my website, uh, the one where you can find information about shelter, uh, heraldjanet.wordpress.com, uh, sometimes I will post some artwork on there, uh, sometimes just a quick sketch or just what I'm working on. That is uh, where you might start seeing some character designs for the upcoming graphic novel. Heck, I'm, I might as well just tell you, this is a working title, but um, the upcoming graphic novel is going to be called My Super Midlife Crisis. It's about uh, some of us, when we get into about our 40s, we have midlife crisis. We buy a sports car. This fella, he gets superpowers. And uh, that's what our story is going to be about, me and Stephen Orr. Uh, I hope Stephen doesn't mind me saying all that about it, but we're very excited, and we're working on it right now. And, hey, this is I'd also like you to check this out. Um, Stephen's got his own blog, and you'll be able to see updates about the story there as well. Uh, it's Stephen or Else, and uh, it's 
S-T-E-E-V-E-N-O-R-R-E-L-S-E.com. Um, and I point that out specifically because uh, once in a while, Stephen will have some information either about uh, the work we're going to be doing, but also you can see some of Stephen's writing as well and get a taste for whether or not you're going to be interested in this uh, graphic novel we're working on. Cool. So that's what's cooking. Harold, thank you for coming on the show and uh, talking about shelter. And uh, you have a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, or, or if you are an apocalypse with dark side, have a ha- happy anti-life equation holiday. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> that's the one I'll do. Okay, okay. Given the choice, given given the choice, yes. Go get your mother box. Go meet up with Calabac. I heard he cooks up some nice ribs. Granny, get zapped by from Omega Beams and then go back in time. Yes, and Granny Goodness will bring the sweet tea. And Ugh. so you will just enjoy life. Okay. <laughs> well, Harold, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. What you're about to listen to are some of my favorite segments from the first 32 episodes of the PKD Black Box. Now, granted, it's not the whole compendium of 32 episodes like, you know, best from episode one, two, three, four, five, six. No, just some of my favorite moments from the first 32 episodes. Can't call it a greatest hits because, you know, that's just that's kind of like ego thing and that's not my bag. But there are some funny moments, some insightful things, all types of stuff. And I just wanted to like go back into the vault or into the catalog and say, you know, I wanted to, it's kind of like my way of saying this is how far we've come. I really hope you enjoy some of these segments and spots. And if you like some of these segments that you hear from some of the first 32 episodes, like I said, go to hhwlod.com, click on the PKD black box icon, and you can listen to our whole catalog of episodes. Or you can just do it in iTunes too under the PKD black box. So enjoy. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to world's finest. Number three of four. It's written by Sterling Gates. This issue was done by Jamal Eigel. I just have to say Jamal's art is just getting stronger and stronger. Now, the, is, I'm sorry. I don't, don't mean to cut you off. Is this the issue with a Supergirl and Batgirl? The first Supergirl, Batgirl team up indeed. Sweet. And uh, it kind of this issue kind of ties the rest of the miniseries together. The first two issues, you're kind of like, uh, I don't get it. And then this issue, I was like, okay, now I got it. But Jamal can draw Supergirl. He could draw the new Batgirl and appearance by Catwoman. He could draw women by and make them look sexy without making them look like trashy sexy you know what i'm saying like so you're saying that they look like they look mc light fine and not little kim fine (laughs) did you just say mc light yes because mc light is fine as hell and she is in her 40s and is fine as hell that is refined fine right there little kim is just a hot ass mess you're just gonna make me google mc light and find a picture of her right now you you need to go find a picture mc light yes all right you talk. I'm going. I, I'm dead serious. You think I'm lying? I'm well, going, see, you know, but I'm the thing is, I bet you if you do a Google search right now, MC Light, they'll, you'll find all those '80s pictures of MC Light, and you won't find current pictures of MC Light. I'm gonna find pictures of MC Light right she, now. She is still fine. I don't care. You nobody talk about your next book. I'm looking. Oh, okay, cool. Don't Let's, don't. <laughs> all right. Well, while you search for pictures of uh, current pictures of MC Light, it's I, MC Light. That's it's, the that's the L Y T E. Uh, but anyway, um, come on now. I, I'm not that white. Jesus. <laughs> you know, I have to do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> well-
when seeing what gets me is, and Julian just hit it on a second, hit it on the head a second ago with Naruto selling all these books. You can get a ton of ton of you see a ton of children or kids at anime at anime conventions and expos, and right. and it's like, and I'm not saying that. DC and Marvel have to kowtow and change up their whole system to to cater to, to cater to all the kids in the world. But I remember when I, you know, I, once again I'm gonna have to take you back to back in the day. I had back in the day. I had Marvel. I had DC. I had independent books. I had I had anime style books. You know, I had anime cartoons. You know, we had all the stuff that kids today have. But back then, I was able to see it all if I went to a comic book store back then, depending on where you were. You know, I was able to see it all. You know, now that's not the case. It's just like, you know, these other companies just like separate themselves from the rest of comics. And I don't understand that. I'm like, this is, a, I understand that it's a business and we're in the business to make money. But, you know, also at the same time, if you don't let, you know, help your medium grow, what you in it for? They in it because now they're owned by two big ass companies that ain't about that. Yeah. If they're going to build a brand for kids. They're going to make those movies. They're going for real talk. Warner Brothers is like, yo, we'll get Man of Action to make another cartoon for Cartoon Network. We'll sell ton of toys. Yeah. We got Ben Ten. That's how we're gonna build an audience for kids. Watch, watch Ben Ten gonna have a dope ass movie in ten years. Oh no question. And what's he? But you know what's even more crazy about that? You know, Time Warner has like one of the biggest biggest publishing firms in the states, right? I know, yeah, but it's all split apart. It's all it's all it's all freaking cutting the different pieces. Yeah. They ain't got, they ain't never had their shit together. You nicer to me. I think they need to change the whole system up. Yeah. Half these comics are too grown. It's like I don't want to read them. Yeah. It's like I'm I'm having more fun reading about Luffy yeah. punching people in the face because he he got a, <laughs> he ate the gum gum fruit and he got a rubber body. It's like really you that serious do, dealing with basically twelve year old power fantasies. Like yeah. why are you so serious? It's well, like. That's another sign that, that, you know, it's, you know, they're catering to people our age and even older now. You know what I mean? It's almost like they've, they've cut, you know, cut off, you know, what's below, you know. Yeah, and it's it, older, they're older than me because all these cats seem to grow up in the 80s, you know what I'm saying, reading the same books. they kind of like around Sean's age. They, they was reading X-Men with Paul Smith. All they, love, all they do is love Kitty Pryde. I give a damn about Kitty Pryde. I grew up on Jubilee. I just want to see her kick hey, people now, in don't the face. See, don't, don't be saying I'm old. Now, I grew up on Jubilee, too. You're older than me, son. Come on now. You, not you. <laughs> Sean Pryor. Sean yeah. Pryor's older than us. Yeah, I know he grew up with the older X-Men. He's a yeah. couple years older. Uh, yes, nah, I, I, ain't, I ain't grew up with that. I don't hey, want to read that. I ain't grew up with some White, Jubilee. You watch White it over Flash. There. Now, I'm not talking. I want to see Jubilee books. You know what they did to Jubilee? Son, I want to smack people in the face what they did to Jubilee recently. I know what they did. I'm up to date. I'm mad. We need, we, we're still waiting for the Julian Lytle Jubilee comic. They're never, never going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Just like they ain't never going to let me make my dad's a comic because it'd be the trillest thing on the stands. Or, or, Bla- or Black Avengers. Julian and I had a concept <laughs> for Black Avengers. <laughs> you know, Black Avengers be the best comic book on the stands. Volume one, it- paid in full. Oh my god! Oh my god! With the cover looking straight like Eric being Rockin, it'll be with with the original Fifty Cent. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah, and Casper Cole, Casper Cole holding some cash on the side. Can I be the token? Hey, can I be the token white guy working on the project? Yes, I can just just do letters or something. It'll it'll like give me my card, you know. Oh yeah, no, oh no, you know what we got to do when we make this book? When we make this Black Avengers book, we got to put membership cards in the back of it. You might get a chain. Well, you might do, get I a least chain. Earn, do I at least earn mine by being on the black box? Please tell me. Yeah, yo, no, no. Your membership card is already in the mail, son. <laughs> it's already in the mail. I got you. I got you. 
Oh, you know, you don't got me hype. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Language, language, and sex—that's real sensitive stuff with people, man. I don't. I just don't understand. I don't understand why it's easy for us to accept violence. And like, I have no. First off, let me say, I, I have no issue with violence. I was born. I was. I was raised in the um, what I like to call the the free the what I like to call the free animation period, where the soccer mom restrictions were lifted and cartoon characters could punch other cartoon characters. Like with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe's a perfect example. Duke could punch Cobra Commander as many times as he wanted to. But if somebody got, if a plane got shot out of the sky, you see a parachute. Oh, yeah. On the Cobra Fang, you're like, where the hell did they put that? Where the hell did that come in? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, and where could they put a parachute in a trouble bubble? Yeah, or my favorite was on the uh, hang glider. <laughs> I swear to God, on the hang glider, I saw somebody with a parachute, and, and I re- and I just remember watching it a couple years ago, going, "What?" <laughs> you're wondering with the fang, it's going okay when they're sitting in in the fang in the trouble bubble. I mean, half the time they're not even strapped in, mm-hmm. or today they'd be strapped in, and you're like, "What?" Oh, yeah, it was- it's, it's, and it's so funny to watch those because they're on the motorcycles and everything, not wearing helmets. But if you watch a single kid show today, the first thing. All of a sudden, magically, everybody gets locked in with the seat belts, and you're like, "Where the hell do those come from?" Oh, oh yeah, no doubt. Is that from the same place where the height, where the people on Highlander hide their swords in those uh, cloaks? <laughs> it's like, is it just some kind of magic thir- uh, tesseract dimension? Uh, yeah, it, it's ridiculous, man. I just remember there was an episode of GI Joe where they shot at a his tank, and the his tank kind of like turned to the side, stopped. The cobra, the, the cobra trooper was able to hop out the tank, run down the street, and then the tank exploded. <laughs> and that stuff used to crack me up to no end. And I watched it with my dad, and my dad, because my dad was in the military, and when as soon as he saw the first parachute, I just I heard him, I heard him under his breath. He's like, "Oh, this is some bullshit." <laughs> and I just like I, I like I covered my mouth. And I just started giggling because I didn't want I didn't want him to to you know hear me laughing at him. But we watched it. One thing that always cracked me up, and now they're really starting to make it definitive, but up until then, the first time I heard Destro, I thought Destro was a black dude. Yeah, so did I. Because you never saw, Look like... Look at his outfit. Look at that outfit. That is a <laughs> pimp's outfit. He's got the big old medallion, got the high collar. Yes. That's a 70s super fly pimp outfit. And you hear him talking, you're going, and then later, he's Scottish. What? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because, see, I thought coming up he was a South African arms dealer from, 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 well, from my, from what my memory tells, from what my memory tells me. He was a South African arms dealer. And you never saw his chest because he had that V neck in his outfit, but there was a shirt or like some mesh right there. The yellow shirt, the yellow shirt with the big red medallion. Yeah. So growing up, I always thought he was black. And I could have swore there was something. In the Devil's Do comic book version of Joe that reiterated that fact. I have to find those issues again because I haven't read them in forever. No, they're trying to say, okay, no, this is official. He's Scottish. This is a white dude. And that's it. No, I'm like, you know, it's cool, whatever, whatever. It just makes me laugh because either this is a brother or this is Michael McDonald in an outfit. It's one of the two. <laughs> it's one of the two. Somebody tell me what in the world is going on. 
sharks underwater. Uh, somebody decided to um, also try to combine a- elements or the feel of Alien. It has Samuel L. Jackson. Set you talking deep? You talking deep blue sea? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 You know what? For anybody who has not seen Deep Blue Sea, you are really missing out on something. And I'm tell you why. Because this movie is bullshit from beginning to end. Let's make that clear. All right? You will have a wonderful time watching this movie. There are there's plenty of people in this movie. Like I said before, Samuel L. Jackson, LL Cool J, Saffron Burroughs, Thomas Jane, Michael Rappaport. What happens is is that there's this facility out in the out way out in the ocean. And what they're doing is is that um, this facility is using sharks and they're trying to create super smart sharks for some reason. What reason that is, I can't remember. But the whole mm-hmm. point is is that they're making super smart sharks at this facility because Saffron Burroughs comes out to check it out. And Samuel Jackson is uh, is is with her. Okay. They're like, oh, these sharks are really cool. They're smart, and oh, they won't do anything to us. And but we keep them locked up just in case, you know, and they might escape and affect society or try to kill people. But you know, they're really good. They're good sharks. They're smart, uber smart. We've made them even smarter, even more powerful. And like they're in this like really big ass room with like you know this big ass glass pane where you can see all the sharks going back and forth or whatever, and. Or you can, and there's also this big like um, pool where the sharks can come, you know, come from the outside of the um, can, can come from the facility into the inside, and you know the sharks just say, "Fuck it, we're tired. It's time for revolution up in this bitch. We about to tear this whole place down to the motherfucking <laughs> ground." And just start attacking the humans. Man, this is one of the funniest films I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it is not meant to be a funny movie. It of is course, not meant to be a funny funny movie at all. So everybody's trying to escape, you know, because they're trying to escape from this facility that's out in the middle, middle of the ocean, in the middle, in the middle of nowhere. And the reason why the sharks are able to uh, break free of uh, mankind, <laughs> mankind's enslavement is because there's this really bad weather storm, really bad, really bad storm that knocks out like part of the facility, which lets the sharks, you know, run free in the facility to just do whatever they want while these people try to escape. LL Cool J plays a chef in the movie. And Samuel Jackson is just overseeing all this because he wants to make sure everything is okay. And he's got Saffron Burroughs with him because she helped in implementing all this stuff. People bite it so easily in this movie, man. I mean, you have deaths aplenty. The best part of the whole movie, and I'm going to spoil it because you have to watch it for this one scene alone. Okay. Because a couple of people die. And, like, everybody's freaking out. They don't know what to do. And this is the perfect opportunity for Samuel L. Jackson to start yelling. (laughs) He starts yelling at everybody and makes this really big speech about how everybody's got to pull together. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to blah, 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 blah. And he's still yelling. And, and like, I remember watching this with my best friend, Chris May. Rest in peace. We were both watching this movie at the movie theater. Sam makes this speech, and he's, like, right behind, like, this, like, water entry, this, like, entry where, where there's water. So, like, I look at Chris, and Chris looks at me and was like, well, you know, ain't no black people die yet, man. <laughs> LL is still living. Somebody got to die. Sam makes this speech, and right before he's about to finish, the worst CGI shark in the history <laughs> Of mankind <laughs> jumps out of the water straight up, looks like he's standing on his feet, bends over and eats Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh. Everybody in the crowd went, <gasps> <laughs> Me and Chris were laughing our asses off. <laughs> Man, that scene alone, because he's screaming the whole time he's getting eaten too, so that doesn't mm-hmm. help. So you just went from like a, a yelling Sam Jackson to a screaming Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> it's worth it for that one scene alone. Ain't you seen my movies? <laughs>
and it has some of the worst one-liners in movie history. Like, there's a scene where uh, L. Cool J, who has a who has a pet bird in, okay. in in the film, is trying to escape the sharks, but he's in this he's in the um, in the kitchen, and he's trying to escape the sharks. So L. L. hops into an oven, okay? Because like by now the facility's been flooded on the inside, and so he's hopped into an oven. So the sharks are like swimming around the facility, and they get into the kitchen. They see L. L.'s in the oven. The shark jumps out of the water. And turns on the oven. Of course. So then LL has to get out of the oven. But then the bird causes a distraction so LL can get away. While the bird causes a distraction, the shark jumps out of the water and eats the bird. To which then LL has found a match because, you know, the oven's been open and gas is coming out. And he lights the match and he says, it's classic one-liner, you ate my bird. <laughs> and then throws the match in and boom, you know, the shark explodes or whatever. I, I, I'm reminded of uh, a frisky dingo. <laughs> where uh where after after uh yeah kill, kill face is in a horrible position because he just accidentally crushed his pet penguin and he turns to the camera and goes my penguin is dead <laughs> and starts kicking the ass all over the place I, I may not have explained the plot well enough to, any, to anybody mm-hmm. but all you need to know is mutated sharks underwater facility all hell breaks loose people try to escape <laughs> black people die White people die. No one is spared almost. You know, some people do live. Some people do live. I will let you know that. Okay. So there is a happy ending. Good. No, but... <laughs> and I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while. Okay. I like theories. Is it a hypothesis or have you worked it out to a complete theory? I've worked, I've worked it out to a complete theory. I think that... The Defenders book, you remember the Defenders from Marvel, uh, started in 72, I think it ended like after, right after Secret Wars 2 ended, that's when uh, the book ended, in like the mid to late 80s. Yes, sir. I love that book. Check it. When, um, the Defenders book, starting in October of November of 83, actually sold real well. That series sold well right before like the last five or six issues, you know, that's when, or actually the last eight issues, it started to tail off, so like we're going to cancel the book. But before yeah. that, nobody expected the Defenders to last as long as it did, especially when the team changed in, in uh, late 83. Yeah, when they made it like a solid team. Like it used to be uh, you didn't know who it was. Like there was like four people mm-hmm. that were kind of a mainstay. It was like Hellcat, Son of Satan, a couple other people. And then uh, they, it could have been anybody. Like Hank Pym was a member for like an issue. You know what I mean? Like if you look through their members list, it's everybody in the Marvel Universe from 1970-whatever to, uh, what was it, 85 it got canceled? 86. It got canceled in 86. Well, year, year off. It got canceled in 86. But the thing is, you know, the core of the team was Strange, Surfer, Namor, and, Hulk, and, and the Hulk. That was the original team. Oh, that was, yeah. And that was the original team, and then Valkyrie came on later. But it was in no- October, November of 83 that the major change happened. And at this period of time, people thought this book was just going to tank, and it became, a, it became a mild hit. The defenders of this period of time were the Belle Biv DeVoe of comics. Hell yeah. You know, so I'm serious. They were the Belle Biv DeVoe of comics because me being a big New Edition fan, when New Edition split up and Belle Biv DeVoe said, we're going to form a group. As a kid, I was like, this is going to be the worst thing in the history of music. Two of the dudes can't sing, and I really don't know if Ricky can sing that well to cover a whole album. Now, I'm, you know, I'm a young teen I'm, when, when this is going down with Belle Biv DeVoe. Then Poison dropped, and I was she like, oh, these dudes. Drive me out of my mind. <laughs> and I was like, okay, these cats. Kiss her, hold her, love her. 
What is wrong with you, man? What is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> you you mentioned it, man. It's not my fault. Okay, you know you true. started. I know, but it was a hit, and that out al- whole album was a hit, and they were a success. Nobody expected that to happen. For a moment, they became bigger than New Edition, you know themselves. Yeah, t- time out. Okay. Time out. Time out. <laughs> what? I've never had anybody compare the Defenders to Bell Biv Def- De- <laughs> Oh, no, but I'm about to get deeper, though. Hear me I out. understand, no, but this is just like, you know, all right, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Making me laugh. All right, hear me out. But see, this yep. is where it gets real crazy. Think about it, all right? You got when, when the team changed up and you had the three main players, Angel, Beast, Iceman, but then you had Gargoyle, Valkyrie, and Moondragon. But your core, your, your core front runners were some ex-X-Men. Iceman, Beast, right. and Angel. Check and also it. Manslaughter. And Cloud later on. Cloud, right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, trust me. I know my defenders. Please believe. But see, this is the key, though. Iceman and Mike Bivens are one and the same. Iceman is cool. Mike Bivens is cool. Okay? That you have that. No, no, no. I take that back. No, Iceman is Ron DeVoe because that was the cool brother on the group, all right? That was the cool brother, and Iceman is the cool brother on the defenders, okay? So they line up. Angel slash War, uh, Warren Worthington is Mike Bivens. He's the businessman because Mike Bivens was the businessman for, for Bell Biv DeVoe, albeit not the greatest businessman in the world. The man had Biv 10 Records, which originally had Boys to Men, who then left. And then every, every other thing that he tried afterwards was not a success. Angel slash War, uh, Warren Worthington has also had financial problems, too. See, so they are one and the same. And then you got Beast and Ricky Bell. Beast is the glue that holds the group together. Ricky Bell is the person that held Bell Biv DeVoe together because he was the only dude that could sing in the group. The other two dudes just rap. It works. The Defenders were the Bell Biv DeVoe of their comics time. Think about it. Also look at it like this. You can say that X-Men was new edition. And then Angel, Iceman, and Beast said, we out. Oh, boy. It works. It works. Who's Bobby Brown? (laughs) Oh, dude. Bobby Brown was Thunderbird. He just like disappeared. <laughs> He's dead. Bobby Brown ain't dead. He's on Celebrity <laughs> Fit Club. Oh, my bad. <laughs> the Defenders uh, had one of my favorite all-time issues ever in comics, dude. Ever. And that is <laughs> Defenders number 131. The title of this is If This Be Walrus. Wait a minute. I remember, you remember that this issue. Because <laughs> that was actually that was the first Defenders book I bought. Because the front cover had Iceman, Beast, and Angel on the front cover looking up, and there's like this uh, big shadow over, over all three of them. And they're all looking yes. like, what in the world is going on? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. That's a. Uh, that was also during a period of time that uh, Sienkiewicz and Kupenberg were like alternating covers on the Defenders. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I remember yep. that. Yes. Yes. I think it was actually. It's. Uh, this looks to be definitely like a Koopenberg cover, though. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. And that's where Beast goes to a university. Now, like I said, I'm doing this top of my head here. Um, he he goes to, I think he does like a speech on, uh, I don't know, something to do with mutant uh, genetics or whatever. And Iceman went with him and Angel's hanging out with him and. All of a sudden, he's attacked by a supervillain named the Walrus. <laughs> but who comes and helps him? That's the most important part of the issue. Man, it's been so long since I read that. I couldn't even tell you. Who was it? Frogman, a.k.a. the Son of Leapfrog. <laughs> that is awful. No, 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 sir. No, no. That is awesome. 
I, and once again, this is why you read comics. This is all I'm going to say. It is fucking Fraggle Rock. You cannot make Fraggle Rock edgy, okay? It's it's Fraggle Rock. And I'm sorry to get on like a blurred rant. Quit trying to make everything so damn dark. Just because it worked for the Dark Knight doesn't mean it's going to work for Fraggle Rock. Just because it worked for the Dark Knight doesn't mean that it's going to work for Shazam. Because when they when, when Warner Brothers was trying to put Shazam together, the producer said it needs to be more dark. Just because the Dark Knight made money. That's the Dark Knight. It's Batman, okay? It's Dark Knight. Dark Knight is not Shazam. Dark Knight is not Fraggle Rock, okay? I don't need like a major death scene. <laughs> in Fraggle Rock. I just need Fraggles eating Doozer buildings and like that those troll creatures trying to catch Fraggles in the trash heap and the dog and, and the old man and Uncle Traveling Matt. Okay? That's all it is. That's all it is. I got a pitch. <laughs> I got it right now. Okay. I got the trailer. Ready? Talk to me. In a world where people try to build things but they keep getting eaten one creature has had enough Fraggle Rock won the Fraggle Doozer Wars. What is wrong with you? Dear nephew Gobo, the front line is hard, but we're trying to keep it. They're small, and they keep crawling underneath our line of defenses. The good news is everything they built, we eat. So therefore, we're not hungry. But it's just hard. Uncle Traveling Matt. <laughs> and yet this is why they will not allow us in Hollywood. <laughs> I-, I laughed at you on Auto Man, but I know you're gonna you're gonna kill me on this one. Uh the master. Oh, that was After awesome with Lee Van Cleef. Yes. Wait a minute. That was the shit. And he had that kid every episode got thrown out a window. Yes. He <laughs> Worst did. student ever. Ninjas. Timothy Van Patten <clears throat> was his uh, Max Keller was, was the name. I lo- It was a custom made van. You remember the van? It would drive. And he was a, a ninja who, who got out of the, uh, the, the ninja business. And he wanted to. I think he was looking for his son. Yeah, no, he was like looking that. for his daughter. He was in search of his daughter that he didn't know he had. And the other ninjas were trying to get him back. Now, Sho Kasuki was in this. Yes, because he played Okasa. Yes, and he wanted to get him. He wanted to kill him for leaving the organization. And I I loved that show I, I, so much. I, I, here's my problem. Lee Van Cleef as a ninja. Lee Van Cleef was 85 years old. Exactly. This series. That's why he was a master. <laughs> Well, I do point out an American veteran who stayed in Japan and became a ninja master. Okay, when even Wikipedia points out the following line, he gets thrown out a window, a repeated occurrence for him throughout the show. Yes. <laughs> in a 13-episode show. Come on. I remember I was like eight when that was on, and I just remember looking at my mom going, he's going in this restaurant. He's getting thrown out the window. <laughs>
Johnny, what you got for us? Well, I'm going to start us off with the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. Damn! Uh, <laughs> I, I had to wow, go good there. Choice. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to start off by saying that my my experience with these films is is totally different from from you guys. For whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of exposure for me as a young guy. A lot of Bruce Lee because that was probably more mainstream, and I got it on like local TV pretty regularly on the weekends and late night and stuff like that. I've really gone backwards to check all of this stuff out. Like I'm much more into the newer stuff, and and it's kind of an opposite take than you guys that have been into it for so long and. Maybe you're catching up on the new stuff, and you're obviously masters of all the old stuff. 36 Chambers Shaolin, I, I think it's really important because it's the story that's told over and over and over again. It's this kung fu student that doesn't belong, mm-hmm. who is hated by the classmates because they've be, they belong. It, he's an outsider of some sort. He's you know we've seen the story. He's an American. He's uh, he he doesn't fit in with the group, and he's the favorite of the teacher. And, and that's where the story kind of takes off. And we've seen it in what Kung Fu Panda, the Fraction, and Brubaker's Iron Fist. I was run. just gonna say, oh, this sounds like Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. You, I, exactly. And I mean, we can go we can go on. You, I mean, you, you can look at. Go ahead. I'm Sean, sorry. You've seen it in the Karate Kid as well. I was just going to say that, you know, Daniel does not belong in the, uh, in the, what's the dojo? Something Kai, Cobra Kai. Yeah, Cobra Kai. (laughs) Yeah. Sweep the leg. (laughs) Yeah. So I just really dig that movie, you know, Gordon Liu and it's classic. There is a a Dragon Dynasty release, so you can get a real nice cut of it. And I think it's a good building block. Like if you see 36 Chambers of Shaolin, a lot of stuff you see after that will make you go, ah, you know, there... (laughs) They're taking that off 36 Chambers. Um, and, of course, Wu-Tang made it, like, popular again, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, which is kind of cool, too. But So that's my first pick, 36 Chambers. What I love about that movie, I first saw that film via bootleg VHS in Washington, D.C. Me and a friend of mine went to go visit some of his friends in Washington, D.C., and we drove up to, to New York City. And we were down in Times Square, we were walking around, and we saw this store that sold nothing but kung fu movies. Of course, they were all bootlegs. <laughs> Every single one was a bootleg. And our one friend kept talking about the 36 Chamber of Shaolin. And he wouldn't stop talking about it. He was like, we got to find this movie. I know they got it. We got to get it. And we're going to watch it tonight. He gets a copy, checks out, makes sure the copy looks good. And we, you know, we walk around a little bit more around New York. And we go visit a couple other spots. Then we drive back. Hours later, we get back to D.C. and we watch this movie. That was the first time, besides watching Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee flicks, that the final fight theme really sunk in with me how important all that build up and all that setup and the importance of the final fight give that film that extra oomph for that it just makes it great that that final fight is fantastic gordon lee was like one of my favorite martial artists ever i just love that that final battle in 36 chamber i think it's great i thought it was so cool when uh, gordon lee was in kill bill as well it was such a, a shout out to that you know from uh from an obvious fan like Tarantino, and he's aged. He's aged really well too. Yeah, I yeah mean, he looked he's like just... he was doing some good moves in uh, Kill Bill for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a classic, no doubt about it. It's a building block, you know. If you're gonna take a kid and who wants to watch kung fu, you know, you're gonna start with somewhere in the beginning. It's Thirty Six Chamber. That one was on my list. That's why. That's why I got upset when you <laughs> said it. It was on my list. I had to strike. Had to cross it out.
It, it, it's the ultimate guide to G.I. Joe, 1982 to 1994. It's the second edition. Don't get the first edition. The second edition has Duke and Cobra Commander on the front, and in the background is one of the Joe tank with the, the cat that drives the tank for, for the Joes, and then there's a Cobra dude with one of the uh, eight, you know, with one of the all-terrain vehicles with the uh, rocket pack, with the rockets on it. Wh- which tank guy? Was it Steeler? I think it's Steeler. Yes, it is Steeler. Yes, it's, it's the brown tank. It, it's, it's the, uh, well, I'm sorry, the, like the desert-colored tank with uh, Steeler. This book was put together by Mark uh, Bellomo. And seriously, it's got every action figure, playset, um, weapons, and it has a listing. Like, say, for instance, if it's uh, it gives you a price list if something is mint, in, you know, never been opened in the box, never been opened, uh, mint in box, or just um, you know, or if you just have it mint but you just don't have the box. So it gives you all type of grading conditions, nice pictures of like all the figures and the accessories. But I'm gonna tell you something. I think there was a period of time toward the end of the Joe, G.I. Joe toy run where they literally just said, fuck it. Um, Raptor. No, 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 no. no. We're not going to <laughs> talk about Raptor and his genetically enhanced birds. <laughs> not they were falcons. <laughs> there's, there's on page 218, there is a, a cobra ninja called Night Creeper, okay? Night Creeper. Night Creeper, yes. He okay. inc- includes a crossbow. Two swords and a backpack. The crossbow is crazy because the crossbow is a standard crossbow, but it also has four arrows. It's like a five-arrow crossbow. Okay? A five-arrow cross, crossbow. How does this work? It, it can't. This is, it just can't work. Even as a kid, I would have said, what, the, what in the hell is this? This makes no sense. You know, and the swords are cool looking. But here's the problem. The ninja is purple with gray pants with purple and silver camouflage marks. You know, he's got a purple mask with a with, with a silver like uh, with a silver hat and silver goggles. The side of his pants say hammer time. It might as well. <laughs> this fool is not stealth. I'm sorry. Now even if you were like in darkness, I'm I mean, it's just like this fluorescent, like silverish gray. I'm going to see you. That's how good of a ninja he was. He could dress like that, and you still didn't know he was there. No, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's, and he could shoot you five times with one trigger pull. I mean, dude, not even Johnny Quest had weapons that silly. <laughs> but, but check it out. It says, like, underneath the uh, description of the figure. The Night Creepers, with their prototype code names of Ghost Tigers, Brotherhood of the Were Tigers, and Ghost Dragons, were the high-tech ninjas of Cobra Command. Provided here for the very first time in print is an excised paragraph from their prototype file card. We caught one of these Night Creepers in a steel deadfall trap. I wonder how. They're easy to catch because they're so freaking bright. Um, anyway. Um, before we could interrogate him, he willed himself into a coma, causing an electrochemical shunt that was wired into his central nervous system to auto-destruct all the weapons and equipment he was carrying. We suspect his gear included image intensifiers, radar deflectors, infrared dissipators, and holographic decoy projectors, all built into bulletproof armor panels. That's I, not, that doesn't even make sense. How does that happen? I, I, I don't know. I, I need to know who, who who designed this figure, man. But the thing is, because you know I love Joe. You know I love Joe, and I love these toys, man. You know, all this right. stuff. But this is ridiculous. I think starting like 1991 or 1992, they said, what bright colors are available that nobody's using right now? Get them. Because all, all the figures, oh, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And then and then there's a, um, I go back to the 1998 series. There's a picture of Hardball 
multi-shot grenader. Includes two-piece multi-shot grenade launcher and backpack. This fool has a baseball jersey on that says G.I. Joe, a blue baseball cap, and some khakis with a uh, military uh, pack on the side of his leg. Once again, even as a kid, this made no sense to me. Why am I giving away the fact that I'm part of G.I. Joe? Why do I need to tell the world that I'm part of G.I. Joe? I got to have a baseball jersey that says G.I. Joe on it. Maybe he's part of the softball team and then get a chance to change. I, I, I don't know. I, if I get called to action, no, that's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Um, let's see here. Hardball with the original uh, military occup- occupational specialty of Blooper Man has, and the prototype code names of Thumper, High Pop, Line Drive, and Lob Shot. One, okay. All the baseball nicknames there, they Hardball, Thumper, High Pop, Line Drive, and Lob Shot. Where wears a baseball uniform has the name has the file name Wilmer S. Duggleby, a play on Major General Abner Doubleday, the man who may or may not have invented baseball, and was born in Cooperstown, New York, home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then there's one more figure I saw called Hit and Run. He's a light infantry man uh, for the Joe team. Pretty cool looking figure. It's all camouflage. It looks like a straight up military figure. And I laughed when I read what they posted here, and I shouldn't have laughed, but I did. Hit and Run. A pun on both the method in which his character was orphaned by a drunk driver. Shut up. That's what it says. I'm not lying. That is what it says. Go ahead. Uh, no, that's all I wanted to say. That's all no, I was... you got there's No, I got to find out the end of that story. You can't just okay. leave me hanging like that. Okay. And the technique with which he approaches his military occupational specialty was a popular action figure. His dark camouflage and realistic accessories, note the cult. Model 635 submachine gun made this toy a strong seller off of retail pegs with the prototype code names of Night Raid and Rope Burn. Rope Burn. I want you to remember that. Um, <laughs> Hit and Run was also offered as a Target exclusive with an orange file card, a Halo parachute pack, and yeah, and a Halo parachute pack. Yes, Rope Burn. Let's see, we can call him Rope Burn, we can call him Hit and Run. Hit and Run. I'm not lying, man. You need to get this book. You I do. You have to get this book. It's it's you know it's decently priced. I think I got my see. It's, it retails for twenty six ninety nine. I know I paid less for that. I mean, I paid I paid less for it, but it's worth it. Just make sure you get the second edition. Because, is, there, is there a joke called date rape? No. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be, man. With some of the stuff they put in here. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Um, oh, God. Oh, yeah, dude, I'm, ser- I'm serious. You're going to love this book, though. Wait till you see some of the figures and some of the color schemes. I won't even talk about when they did uh, the whole uh, space stuff. Star Brigade. I won't even talk about S- Star Brigade, and I won't talk about the uh, Street Fighter Two Joe line that's in here, too. I want to know how much a quick kick figure is worth. Um, Let's see here. We have to find what your quick kick uh, came about. 85. 85? Okay, I'm going to go back I'm to I'm thinking. I'm just throwing that. That's right off the top of my head. Okay, Jinx was 87. Let's yeah, see. he was way before Jinx. Oh, a refrigerator pe- mint and baggie is worth 26 bucks. Wow, it's almost as much as the real refrigerator Perry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking career-wise. <laughs> Jeez. I, I'm just playing with you. I'm in 1985 right now. I'm looking at the Cobra Ferret, Cobra Bunker, Checkpoint Alpha, Televipers, Tomax and Zamot. Let's see. Buzzer. Yeah, they were around that era. Tollbooth, the bridge layer driver. 
His accessories includes a sledgehammer. He looks That's like all you need, dude. Man, he looks like a bad member of the village people. Here we go. Quick kick. Silent weapons includes nunchucks, samurai sword, backpack, mint on card, fifty-five to seventy dollars. Um, really? Yeah. A uh, mint, mint in small baggie, that uh, which was a mail away, twenty twenty-five. And uh, if you have, say, for instance, it, it like just a loose figure. Of the retail version, seven to twelve. Huh? Or you See, can, or 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 you can go get Keel Hall. You forgot. You forgot all about Keel Hall, didn't you? I, the damn sure did. What's a Keel Hall? Keel Keel Hall was an ad, admiral that was included with the USS flag. Oh, well, all right. See, I didn't get that toy. Yeah, I didn't get it either. So you know, but if you got if you got quick kick men on card, it, it's worth some decent coin. That's crazy. But I'm telling you See, something. In I'll my opinion, that's what Joe was just going. GI Joe was just making figures right then and there. That's when they were just like right there. That's when they started just making, just making shit for making shit. No, dude, no, no, no. It wasn't eighty five. It was after. I'll be honest with you, because I'm looking through this book and I've looked through it like four times in the past three days. It was around nineteen eighty seven that they went buck wild. <laughs> but this was the birth. Look at that! Look at that figure. Tell me what he has to do with the army. Look at him right now. Hey man, Karate Kid was popular back then, man. They needed some. They needed somebody. They 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 needed somebody. So they was just like, look, we got to pull in the Karate Kid crowd. We gonna come up with a dude called Quick Kick. He's barefoot. What used to crack me up when I watched the cartoons? They would be on all types of terrain, and, and like they would be running like shooting Cobra. Quick Kick would come running by in the snow with the gun, shooting Cobra dudes with no shoes on. And no shirt on, too, right? Yeah. I'm like, I know you cold. I know you cold. Oh, used to irritate the piss out of me. <laughs> and I just like the fact that back then, anybody who knew any kind of martial arts got three Chinese stars whenever they, <laughs> if they were in G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. That, Everybody. That was, that was I mandatory. Took, I took karate three damn years. I didn't even get to see a Chinese star. <laughs> Oh, man, wait till you see the... Um, this will be the last thing I talk about with this book. The nice thing about this book is is that before they go into the next uh, series, they'll, they'll, it'll be like, you know, series one, series two, series three. Um, there's one series, uh, series 11, and they always start a series, and they'll have, like, a display page with, like, a few figures and accessories. Nice display. I have went to series 11, 1992. Let me tell you something. The brightness of these colors on these action figures... Whew. Mm. It is ridiculous. A ninja wearing some bright ass blue. The ninja looking like a fly girl. Uh, pretty much, and he's got three stars. He's got three Chinese stars on his uniform. It, I'm telling you, that was like that must have been a, a ninja rule it, it, back it, then. It is ridiculous. But I will, I will tell you this: I did not know that there were like so many different Roblox figures that were made back then. Roblox had about seven or eight figures. Over the years, you know, I never realized he was as popular as he was either. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, I think he actually has more figures than Stalker, but um, but all this and no Big Lob, no Big Lob action figure. The brother from the GI Joe animated movie with the basketball jersey and basketball shorts. Yeah, no figure. So, um, but no, I digress. Once again, the Ultimate Guide to GI Joe, nineteen eighty two to nineteen ninety four, by Mark Bellamo. Fantastic. You got to find out, is Rocky Balboa in there? No, Rocky Balboa is not in there. Rocky Balboa, they, they had a prototype, but it didn't work out, and so it, the figure never got made. I, I, that I did find out. Later on, they used that prototype and enhanced it for the Rambo action figure series, for the Rambo cartoon. How about uh, Sergeant Slaughter? He's in there, right? Oh, there are a few Sergeant Slaughters, sir. 
there's actually, a few? There's a few. What's funny is is that when you mentioned Quick Kick in 1985, there's a picture of Quick Kick, and then right next to him in alphabetical order, Sergeant Slaughter. Nice. Yes, so there is a Sarge, yes. And they even have Sarge's vehicle in there, too. Oh, that's right. He had that... Uh, it looked like yeah. a, it looked like an enhanced Yugo without windows, and it had two missiles. On the top, right? On the side. The missiles were on the top. side. But he had, like, this deep executive, like, leather Barker lounger in the vehicle. It was just weird looking. He's a big dude. Yeah, he was a big dude. The figure he doesn't show cool. that, though. The figure looks real real lanky. That's but, crazy. Yeah, man, but wait till you see some of this stuff, man, because it is just, some of this is ridiculous. That, that's awesome. All right, dude. I have a stack here of a lot of comics that I got from you. You're hearing this, right? Mm -hmm. That I got from this indoor flea market. It's about 20-something comics, dude, from the golden age all the way up to 91. How much do you think I paid for this stack of comics? I say you paid about 40 bucks. You are incorrect, sir, but you were close. How much did you pay? Thirty. (laughs) <laughs> was okay. Thirty dollars. So for thirty dollars, what did thirty dollars for thirty dollars? What did you find? Oh, and let me tell you, a lot of these are in pretty decent shape too, man. I got Amazing Spider-Man one thirty-four. Get out! That did. It was just the first appearance of. Do you know who? The Jackal. The Tarantula. Oh, <laughs> oh not him. Is he, the, that, is he the dude with like the uh, spikes on the end of his shoes? You know that's right. Oh, he's awful. Oh, no, he's not. Listen to this cover. You are but a Spider-Man. I am the Tarantula, and my touch means death. <laughs> uh, I miss those covers. And then Spidey goes, he's thinking in a thought ball. He says, he's not kidding. One of those steel spikes catches me. I'll be shredded. No, you'll be stabbed. <laughs> shredded. <laughs> shredded like shredded wheat. Uh, but you want to want to hear something crazy? Yeah. The very last panel. Listen to this. Well, Spider-Man, it seems we meet a gang. And this time I am in control. This time you have to face the Punisher. First cameo appearance in Marvel Universe. Very nice. I was like, yay. Yeah, and it's a dude. I'm telling you, it's not near mint, but there's not a tear on this thing. The spine is pretty good. I like it. Anyway, then I got Amazing Spider-Man 145. The scorpion stings but once. And it's a And you know what's cool about these books, too? What's that? This is like the original Clone Saga, like 145, and then the next one I'm going to talk about. With the Gwen Stacy clone and the Spider-Man clone and all that. And I also got Amazing Spider-Man 150. And it's just every villain just whooping his ass on the cover. It was pretty cool. I haven't read it yet, but the cover's nice. I, I like I'm like you, man. I miss those old covers, dude. To me it sold the book more than what they do with a lot of today's covers. Don't get me wrong, a lot of today's covers are very beautiful. I just like that. You know, being I'm I'm trying to sell you something. I'm tr- I'm really trying to sell you something. So take a look and get. Hopefully, this cover will entice you enough to open up that first page and get you hyped to buy it. I just miss that. And some people say, "Oh, that's just juvenile and silly." I'm like, you know, it's it's comics. It, it's comics. Can't can't we mix it up? Can I have my my fun covers along with you know these new age theatrical covers that everybody's trying to do nowadays? Can't we mix it up a bit? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but mm-hmm. I, 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 I digress. Please continue. And then I got Fantastic Four 142. Now, is that a Perez Fantastic Four? Buckler. Ah, oh, Rich Buckler. Cool. Yes, yes. And it's the thing in a village, and there's like this weird dude. The coming of Dark Oth, the Death Demon, and he's like shooting something out of his forehead at Thing's forehead, and Thing's about to hit him with the lamppost, and he's holding some blonde broad in his arms, like he's about to do something. Good stuff, right there. What's the name of that villain again? <laughs> Dark Oth, the Death Demon. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I just wanted to double check just to make sure I didn't hear that. <laughs> I didn't hear that incorrectly. <laughs> and I, if anybody find that's how you have to say his name from now on. <laughs> Dark off the death demon. And then I got Marvel double feature featuring Captain America and Iron Man number fifteen, and it's a, it's a Red Skull versus Captain America book that's on the cover. Hmm. Struggle all you will, Avenger. Not even you can survive the Electron Chair. You know what, man? If they ever make audio books of just covers with crazy <laughs> stuff on the front, you need to get a job doing that, man. <laughs> you need to get a job doing that. We just call it like audio covers. There you go. And we can mark. See, man, you know what? We market more shit on this show. Oh, neon ninjas. Neon ninjas. Audio <laughs> covers. We we could be bajillionaires. All we need is that Stan Lee money. Yeah, not that Stan Leroy money. Yeah, we need Stan, Stan. <laughs> that Stan Leroy money. That ain't that ain't coming in, man. I'm trying. Please believe. Uh, and then. <laughs> It's like I'm in the middle of listening to Julian's voice on CGS, staring at this thing, talking about ninjas, going, what the fuck? I need to turn to Sal, because otherwise I'm going to, I need to stop this with Julian and turn to Sal, because otherwise I'll just fall right off the uh, elliptical. <laughs> yeah, I have a weird, I have a thing, I have a thing with ninjas, and I have a problem with Daredevil, Daredevil so slow, he's not doing no ninja shit. That's my main issue, he's not doing nothing ninja-like, I read ninja comic books, I want to see some hot shit. All the creators need to go read like at least ten volumes of manga about some ninjas. It's ninja. Yeah, it's a ninjakitchen.com. Ninja kitchen. It's a buy one get one free for for sixty dollars or three payments of twenty dollars. They've got an uh, their logo is basically a guy in the standard ninja about to fight you face with two swords and it says rule the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. <laughs> Go to Ninja. It's ninjakitchen.com. I swear to God, you're going to laugh your ass off looking at this. kind of reread that Transformers DK book. Okay. And Simon Furman, who's written a lot of the comics, he actually tried to combine the two, ah. saying that the Quintessons, they believe that they did it, but Cybertron is actually Primus. But then in the in the show, or all the shows from G1 to Beast Wars to Beast Machines, it doesn't seem to that, that Primus is ever there. And they had an origin for Unicron. I don't know if you remember that episode. No, no, I don't remember that either. Wow. Oh, uh, it was like one of the better animated ones because it 
it looked Japanese. Uh, Japanese is like Call of the Primitives post movie, and like all the animals from the the original Predacons and Skylinks and the Dinobots and even the cassette guys. They like flew, and then this this one guy. Apparently, he created Unicron, and then he had another energy being he created that was out of control, and then Grimlock saved the day, because Grimlock kicks butt. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember, because especially as a kid reading the, uh, you know, watching the Transformers animated series, and then watching the movie, and then reading the comic book, like, my mind back then could not break or, you know, break the fact of, why isn't the comic book not following the cartoon series perfect example when the first like five the first like four issues of transformers at the end of issue four shockwave is the big bad yeah and then you watch the cartoon shockwave's the biggest pussy in the world yeah you know he's just pretty much like megatron's lackey and that's it he just sits at the station chills out gives a couple reports cries a little bit and then goes back to work but in the comic book he was a badass and you know and him and megatron got into some fights and some throwdowns and even the dinobots got into a big ass scrap with shockwave now that stuff was cool i didn't yeah. i didn't mind that i thought that was awesome what really got me or really irked me yet i still read the book okay prime died in the movie understood understood basically um it was for a new uh, just for a new toy line you know, yeah, <laughs> because like like Andy Jewett and I talked about that for like a quick second on his interview. We, you know, he said it was just all for a major toy change because all the G one kid guys that we grew up with during that time wiped them out. Here comes the next generation with Rodimus and Cup and Springer and RC Wheelie and all those cats. They were all lame too. I liked Rodimus up until now you like beast machines though no but let me hear me out though see hear me out i said i liked rodimus up until the movie was over and then they started the new series i liked that series for the simple fact that show became more sci-fi based than it ever had been but my problems were this rodimus was a douche every time he every time he had a problem he would short circuit himself to talk to the matrix i'm like dude man up and just be a leader i used to hate that hate it but back to my point i'm sorry so they kill prime in the movie understandable fine whatever in the comic book they did the dumbest thing (laughs) so stupid i know you got this issue because you got it bound megatron and prime hook themselves up to a computer game oh the vr fight yes there's this like boy who's like the mediator and prime technically wins but then megatron says no prime cheated and prime's like well he's right i cheated and i'm you know and that's you know and i'm an honorable person so tells the boy hit the switch he picks up his like atari joystick and hits the button and like prime dies i was like but, this is but the- he, he saves a copy on his floppy yeah, this d- dude that was awful <laughs> <laughs> That was so bad. And I remember after that issue was done, I remember putting down the book and I didn't buy Transformers for like a year. Then I came back and then I enjoyed it again. And there were so many things about that comic book that I love, though. Just like, you know, the rotating artists, even even though I will admit, because I've got a couple, just a couple of the Generation One or the more, I'm sorry, the Marvel Comics trades from uh, I think this was when that British company was releasing them. I can't remember their name right now. Because IDW released them for a while too, but anyway, it's the ones with like Scorponok and stuff. So, but anyway, the, the Headmasters one? No, no. Yeah. Well, this is when I don't know if it's. Well, I think they were using the Headmasters. The Pretenders were in it. Do you remember the Pretenders? Oh yeah, the te- the like twenty foot people. Uh, that was like the dumbest. How could you mistake that twenty foot guy as a human? 
Yeah, yeah, it was. There was some bizarre stuff in there. I'm like, and this was a little weird. And like, Megatron and Ratchet were like merged into one. And they oh were, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And like, they were begging Prime to they were begging Prime to kill him, and Prime wouldn't do it. And Cup and Cup was like, man, you've gone soft. <laughs> and Prime was like, well, screw it. I, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I just need to step down. There was some interesting stuff in there, but it was also weird, too. But, like, Furman, you're right about Furman, man. He had that universe on lockdown for ages. How many cartoons did we watch where there were either editing gaffes or um, actual animation gaffes? In, in the show, I remember watching an episode of Challenge of the Super Friends where some of the Super Friends were, like, locked up in this uh, Legion of Doom prison. And it started with, I think, Aquaman on the first end, and it pans to the other end of the... Uh, from one end of the prison to the other. And it starts with Aquaman, and it ends with Aquaman. <laughs> you know, or the colors would be... Well, colors would be backwards on certain characters on other uh, on other cartoon series. You know, and it's all the stuff that you don't see it... You don't see it long enough to register it, but once you watch an episode like 15 times, it's like right there in your face. Yeah. You, you know, it's like watching uh, Star Wars A New Hope, and when uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are stuck in that one room in the Death Star, and the, and the door rises up, and the Stormtrooper hits his head... Yes. You know, I never noticed that for 20 years. Yeah, no, I hear you. And then a friend of mine points it out to me, now I can't escape it. Well, a lot of those uh, those gaffes and stuff, especially the the color gaffes or, or cell gaffes, a lot of those got left in because it was just too expensive to have it reshot, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Shooting a cartoon with an animation camera with cells and everything is a very involved and tedious process. So if there was a cell misplaced or a, a color that was wrong, it would often cost them a lot of money to go back and reshoot it. Nowadays with the digital stuff, digital coloring, digital compositing, if there's a problem, it's just a couple clicks of a button to go in and fix it. So I think you'll find that with a lot of the more modern stuff, that happens on occasion, but it happens a lot less. I got a question for you then. Seeing that you talked about digital, seeing how like so many things are going digital, how come I guess I guess what I'm trying to get across is how come there aren't how come there isn't a, a ginormous cartoon explosion? I'm not talking like flash cartoons because we could I could I could put a side panel on that because I have issues with some flash cartoons. Oh actually a lot of flash cartoons, but we are in this digital revolution. Um, and I'm just wondering how come we don't have a cartoon explosion because of this digital revolution? Well, I think the main thing is that even though we're in a digital explosion, it still costs a lot of money to make these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got to deal with paying your employees and you got to pay your director and you got to pay your voice actors and all that stuff adds up. The, the money that you save by doing stuff digitally would probably gets folded into other areas of your production, whether it's buying uh, and updating equipment, having, I mean, we never used to have to have a, an IT department to, <laughs> yeah. to make a cartoon. You know, it's not very often uh, when you were working with pencil and paper that your pencil would crash and you would lose your drawings, you know, like, so that happens now you can, you have to have techs to come in and help, support the process and all, all that stuff still costs money and you know I'm sure a lot of it has to do with t- 
TV budgets. Maybe there's slash. I don't have a lot of inside knowledge, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's there's budget cuts all around, and there's people who wanna. Maybe there's people hanging on to money who shouldn't be. I don't really know. Yeah. No. 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 I, I understand. It's just it. it you know, sometimes like I'll forget. And, I mean, we all forget like the little things in between. Like even though we have advancements, there are still things within the advancements that still cost. Exactly. There's there's always a cost somewhere, no matter no matter how you flip it, whether it be old school animation or new school animation. And see, and I guess what hurts me is is that even though we are on the digital side, and I see like a lot of flash cartoons, some of the, some of these flash cartoons that are on television especially cable television are done so poorly that i don't even want to look at them no i agree i'm personally not a a big fan of flash as a program or as flash as a way to do cartoons um i think that that it's a program that if it was used to its strengths could potentially be uh, a very good program. I mean, Flash would make if they wanted to go back and do old Hanna Barbera style limited animation with Flash, which some of them do. I, I think that's would be perfect for what how Flash works. But a lot of people want to do full animation in Flash, which is really tricky and hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things for me, anyway, from my perspective, it's just easier to draw it. Uh, but no one wants to do it by hand because it takes so much longer. Yeah. And and everybody wants that quick fix. <laughs> everybody wants right. that quick fix. I mean, yeah. oh, go ahead. the executives in charge, and I, I can't begrudge them, um, It's they get to see a final product in a lot shorter amount of time than if it was done by hand. I mean, the difference is substantial. On an old 2D uh, drawn-by-hand cartoon, when we finished a storyboard, it would be four to six months before we started seeing uh, final animation on stuff, you know, and uh, with a flash cartoon, it can be a matter of weeks from when you hand in the board to when you start seeing animation. And for for executives, a lot of whom aren't uh, necessarily artists, uh, that's appealing. They get to make calls, they get to remember what it is they had issues with before and they get to see the changes implemented very quickly. And you don't they don't get any well we can't do that now because there's no time and you know we're up against the deadline. They there's more flexibility for them. Did you have that Teen Titans book that you wanted to talk about? You know I did. Go ahead and talk to me about them. All right. Here we go. Do-do-do! I got two awesome comics. I have Teen Titans, number 48. Not the new Teen Titans or the current series Teen Titans, number 48, but the old school Teen Titans from 1977. And now, could you, could you tell me who is on that team, sir? Oh, this right off the right off the bat, I love this book because on the cover you got Two Face. He's got a, a gun up to this lady's head who looks like the Joker. Okay, who is Dula Dent? And you got Robin and Mal, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, and Speedy. Right. Okay. Before we continue, I have a question. How come the only brother on the team has a crowbar for a weapon? He has a horn. On the cover, it looks like a crowbar. It's a horn. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> All right. Okay. Th- thank thank and- you for clarifying that. I, I appreciate that because that always confused me because I didn't I don't I didn't read old school Titans. And uh, well, this makes me want to actually go like uh, hit Powerball so I could buy the the original Titans uh, archive editions, a nice hardcover. Because this is just, it's too bad to pass up. So uh, they have like uh, around the Teen Titans logo, they have Robin's head with his name, Speedy's mouths, Kid Flash's Wonder Girls, and Dula Dent's head, but it says the Harlequin on it, right? She's not known as the Harlequin until the last page of the issue, man. (laughs) And that was the big, that was the big surprise. Well, you told me on the cover. (laughs) Anyway. Uh. So you open this bad boy up, and right away there's an advertisement on the inside cover, and it's Batman and Robin and some woman with eagle wings and seagulls trying to steal the Statue of Liberty, and they gave her hostess cupcakes, and the army dropped bombs on pigeons and shit, and everybody's fine. Then, (laughs) so, all right, it opens up with Two-Face, and uh, he's yelling at, Dula Dent and Robin, who are tied together in chairs, and he's saying, I can't be your father. I have no daughter. That's how it starts off. Okay. So the Joker's daughter is really Two-Face's daughter at this point, but she's not called Two-Face's daughter or the Joker's daughter at this point. And she said that she became a superhero because she wanted to, to hold up the law like her, like the Dent family did back in the day before he went cuckoo bananas. And then they have like he's actually talking to himself in in, in uh, two different panels, and one is the it's a it's a profile of his regular face, and then the other one is his green icky face, and they're yelling at each other, which is kind of cool. But anyway, what he's going to do is he's going to blow up shit, and he planted a bomb in two different museums, one in New York and one in. Uh, Gotham, so they got to figure it out. But anyway, he's leaving, so Robin gets loose, but. He, and he's about to whoop uh, Two-Face's ass. But Two-Face turns around and he goes, I'm not stupid. And you know what he did? What? He glued their asses to the seat. <laughs> no, he didn't. He glued their asses to the seat. Who wrote okay? this issue? Uh, <laughs> Al Mulgrim. No. no. Uh, Bob Roskus. Okay. And it was uh, drawn by Jose Delblo and Vince Coletta. No, no, no joke. Or as da- or as David A. Price from eleven eleven o'clock comics says, Vinny fucking Coletta. <laughs> shout shout outs to King D A P David A. Price. Love you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So Robin's like, All right, dude, you think you're tough? You glued my ass to a seat? Well dig this. And he flips he stands up and flips around and whoops two faces ass with his own kid. <laughs> He just smacked her right in his face, and then she's like, do it again, and she's kicking him in the teeth and shit, and he runs away, and then finally the chair breaks, and Robin, but see, this doesn't make sense, because they glued his ass to the seat, but the chair breaks, and he gets off the chair. Wouldn't your ass still be um, glued to the part of the chair? Yes. Right? Okay. No, that doesn't happen. So, now we cut back to the Teen Titans headquarters, which is... At Gabriel's Horn, <laughs> I can't say this out loud. Gabriel's Horn, giggity. <laughs> Their new discotheque headquarters in Farmingdale, Long Island. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Discotheque. It says disc- the word discotheque is written on the comic. 
Discotech headquarters. Why would you... Sp- Never mind. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not even going to question it. I'm not. Please continue. Please. In a world where people thought discotheques were dead, one group of teenagers made it a headquarters. Hey, find that Bee Gees album, guys. <laughs> so anyway, dude, dig this, right? There's something wrong with Aqualad. I don't know what it is, but they literally have him in half a fish tank. What? Yeah, they have him in half of he's laying down in half a fish tank <laughs> and the water's only filled up to his ears. And they want to know why he's not responding. I, because the part where he breathes water, dumbass, ain't in the water. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you got him in a coma and they're all talking and stuff. And then um and I did I never realized it, but Speedy is just a dick. <laughs> He is. He's just a dick, and it's he. He doesn't like the Joker's daughter. He thinks she's really a bad guy and all this other stuff. But he just everything out of his mouth. You just want to slap him. So now, um, listen to this. He's like, the the phone rings, and Mal thinks it's his girlfriend Karen, but it's not. It's Robin. He goes, Robin, what's shaking? And Speedy takes the phone away from him, and he goes, Let me talk to that bird brain. He goes, The ever wise teen wonder, <laughs> calling to give us your latest joke. And Robin just yells at him. He's like, knock off the sarcasm. This is a business call. <laughs> Two-Face is planning to blow up Gotham and New York off the map. So they're about to run, and they're on their way running. And who all of a sudden, out of the sky, who's there? Malcolm Duncan is going nowhere. He's about to be stung by the Bumblebee. Ah, uh, good old Karen Beecher. All right. And right. Well, you're not supposed to know. Spoiler alert. Hello. Oh, my bad. You're not supposed to know who it is. But oh. that fool just looks at her and goes, Who? <laughs> and he blows his horn and nothing happens and then she um she has a honey gun and she covers his horn in honey giggity <laughs> <laughs> and he's sitting there she's whooping his ass and he's going this voice sounds familiar mm-hmm. and um speedy comes he shoots a uh he shoots a, a net at her and she she just like electrocutes it off, and then Wonder Girl throws her lasso around her. And dig this, dude! She shoots stingers at Wonder Woman, and where are they coming out of? I mean, Wonder Girl, you mean? Yeah, Wonder Girl. Where are they coming out of? Her, her butt. Her ass. That's right. That is so wrong. It, it's awesome. Well, like the first comics I started reading were like Sergeant Fury comics. And then I, I later graduated to, you know, some of the Marvel stuff. Um, uh, like, I, I think probably my first Marvel Universe book was Avengers 129. Discovering Jack Kirby was a huge eye opener. I, I was reading Commandy as a kid. Stuff like that really hit it. I think it was probably those things. And uh, Star Wars came out when I was 11. And I, I think that kind of. All of that kind of coalesced into into per, wanting to pursue art and tell these kinds of stories and stuff like that. And then, of course, you know, for probably a decade there, I, I was I took a bit of a detour um, in college and stuff, playing in bands and all that stuff. But you know, it it came back to comics and and art. I know how you feel about the whole uh, Jack Kirby inspiration because for me as a kid, when I was when I was a young and young and I didn't understand the jack kirby love i didn't uh you know as a kid i would look at the comics i'm like this just doesn't look right to me and i think it was around the a when i think i was like around 12 years old i think 12 or 13 
I was at a comic book store doing some uh, bin diving, and Jack Kirby had done a couple of uh, DC Superpowers limited series. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I saw those, and I picked them up, and I looked at them, because I, I, I had the toys, and I, I looked at the comics, and there was something about, about that that like really just caught my eye. And I just grabbed them and I just read them over and over and over and over again, not even thinking about the, you know, the Jack Kirby, Captain America stuff, the Captain America and the Falcon work that I had passed up before when I, when I was younger because I didn't like how it looked. But this is the same guy. And I just fell in love with it. And that made me go back to read all the classic Marvel stuff that he did and, all, and made me like have a re- proper respect for his fourth world material and and all that other stuff so yeah jack definitely influenced a lot of people well i i think one of the things that like when i when i see kirby imitators or proteges whatever you want to say i feel like a lot of them are missing the boat with just doing you know squiggly lines and square fingers all that stuff and they're not doing kind of the the subtleties of of the dynamicism of 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 Kirby's work. I think that's what what really connected with me as a as a kid and as an adult. You know, just there's some kind of power in what he's doing. So yeah, I I mean, obviously you don't really see a whole lot of that in my work, but it it's there on a subconscious level if that makes any sense. Looking at your work, one of the first books I ever uh, got of yours um was from a suggestion from a friend. It was the IDW uh 24 one shot. And I remember reading that and like looking at the art and I'm like, I'm getting like a, like this mad Al Williamson vibe. Well, when I, when I was reading it, after I read that, I went back and started reading my classic star Wars reprints from dark horse. Um, you know, because I was just like in this really big Al Williamson mood, it really got me inspired and it really got me hyped props to you for your art style. Well, thanks. Yeah. I Williamson, Mark Schultz, who does uh, Xenozoic tales, and Dave Stevens are probably my three big guys now, but you know there, there's a lot of, of uh, Steve Rude and Paul Galacy, Jim Steranko, guys like that in my work too. I think, but thank you. I yeah, I I just I love Williamson stuff so much. Yeah, Williamson uh, Williamson is fantastic. Now you mentioned Mark Schultz, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now. Is that the gentleman that also created Cadillacs and Dinosaurs? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs was the name of the... (laughs) Excuse me while I go into nerd mode here. It was the name of the third Xenozoic Tales trade paperback. Um, But they... (laughs) See? Nerd mode. But they... uh, they found that it was a catchy enough name, so that's kind of what they built the animated series and the the toy line from. And, I mean, those things are kind of a successful translation of what he was doing, but, you know, the actual comics are just gorgeous. So, highly recommend them. I remember when that cartoon came out, that cartoon was, was on CBS, and we never saw it. It never aired. No episodes. No episodes of that show ever aired because our, the local CBS affiliate decided to play something else at, 12, at the 1230 slot. And they wouldn't play it at 6 in the morning or, or like you know, or beforehand. They wouldn't play it at all. Never saw one episode of the series ever. Um, and I would see the toys in the toy store. In our neighborhood, they would fly off the shelves. But never saw the cartoon at all. Always wanted to. And I had no idea it came from a comic. Well, that's sad. <laughs> we should we should always get the the comic tie-ins happening, right? Oh, oh yeah. Now now they didn't have a problem at all. A couple of years later, on CBS playing the uh, Wildcats cartoon, um, that you know, <laughs> they had no problem in playing that. Although for some reason, I remember 
watching every episode, and I just kept telling myself, I'm like, it's going to get better. <laughs> oh, oh, it's going to get, no, it's not. Stop it. Stop it. So I had to force myself to stop watching it. Like I said a long time ago, it is the return of the 80s action film. Thing is that a lot of these young cats are used to the somber, Matt Damon-ish action heroes from The Bourne Identity. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bourne Identity, Jason Bourne will whoop your ass, okay? Let, let me make that clear. But it's not. The t- he's not your typical action hero. The, Matt Damon can jump from The Bourne Identity and then do something like The Informant. So he's not a straight-up action hero. He can do action, but he's not. He can do it, but he can do other things. We're, you know, whereas in the 80s, if you're a Schwarzenegger, you're pretty much doing an action film. If you tried to do something like Junior, everybody laughed at you. <laughs> what did you say the dude's name was? I thought it was, I don't say the Columbus Short. And I was trying to find the other brother in here. I may be wrong. Oh, here he is. Idris Elba. He's playing Rock. R-O-Q-U-E. He was uh, Stringer Bell. In oh, here it is. Right. Water. Okay. He was also in a couple episodes of The Office uh, last year, too. So he's the one that uh, is playing Heimdall in Thor which made a lot of fanboys lose their fucking minds because a black dude is playing a f- fictional Norse god. Um, how, could, how could they do that? <laughs> in this day and age. Uh, we damn near the Jetsons, and we st- and folks still go lose their fucking minds over something as small as Heimdall. I can understand if somebody said, you know what, let's make the rock Thor. And I'm like, you know... Even me, I got my limitations, and that's where I would stop. Bad enough the dude is playing the Tooth Fairy right now. No, that would be a reach, okay? But I just look at the Tooth Fairy, I'm like, you know what? I hope the kids enjoy this, but uh, I can't do it. <laughs> what, the rock and the tutu, it don't do it? I, I, can't, I can't do it, you know, I, I just can't. I mean, I was cool with The Rundown, I was cool with Walking Tall. Pretty much any movie he's been in, with the exception of Doom, Although I did laugh, the one scene in Doom where, you know, the monsters were dragging him away and like he looks at the camera and he's like, I'm not supposed to die. And I just I just fell out laughing. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, dude, you're going to die. Spoiler alert for anybody who actually wanted to watch Doom, the movie. It's terrible. That was in my queue. Son of a bitch. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It was nowhere near. No. Have you ever seen Be Cool? It was a sequel to Get Shorty. Yes. He was funny in Be Cool. I thought he was Oh, he's so a funny dude. He is a funny dude cuz uh the first time he hosted uh Saturday Night Live, man, I was on the floor. Nickatrell. That's right. <laughs> you get your hands off my wife, Nickatrell. You don't talk to Nickatrell like that. <laughs> Look, man, back off and not smoke. <laughs> He was going to smoke these, Sharon. <laughs> See the previews for Death at a Funeral? Yes, I have. Dude, I'm sorry. That looks funny as hell. Well, there's nothing to be sorry about. I know people have complained that, you know, they're remaking a film that isn't that old. I, it, to me, it looks funny. It looks, it looks entertaining enough for me that it makes me say, hey, I want to go. Plus, it's not every day you get Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence and Tracy Morgan and all these people together in one movie. And Cyclops. Yes. Zoe Zaldana in that, too? You bet your ass. <laughs> yeah, that's why you want to go see the movie. That's right. Because let me let's put it this way. All right, Martin made a couple of good movies. He hasn't made, he hasn't made a good movie in a long time. No, when you're taking when you're taking college road trips with Raven Simone, it's not a good time for your career. But when Raven can cut that paycheck, you will take it. Because if Raven would have called oh, your shit. ass, you'd have been like, Hell yeah! Come on, daughter, let's go. <laughs> Yep, you'd have put on that. You'd have put on that. You know that outfit and that hat. And you would have acted a fool for ninety minutes. 
I would have dressed like Big Mama. <laughs> See, now the conversation has to stop there. And uh, Chris Rock, too, does not have a good... Uh, Track record? Yeah. He is a phenomenal stand-up comic, man. Phenomenal. A very nice guy, too. Really nice guy. Very down-to-earth. Doesn't have his nose up in the air. But his movies just uh, suck. Yeah, a lot, of and, his, a lot of his movies have been have been really bad. And I'm with Tracy Morgan's just crazy. Tracy, and I'll tell you that personal experience. Tracy is crazy. Really crazy. Def- define crazy. Okay, we did a show at Stand Up New York in New York City. Okay, there was seven of us. Tracy Morgan was the headliner, and we're just hanging outside and we're just talking and whatever. And then for no reason at all, this is this is before. 30 Rock really took off, and he forgot who I was. Okay. But we're going to get into that because I'm not bitter. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, he's in the middle of Broadway going, buy the Tracy Morgan Best in Saturday Night Live DVD on the top of his lungs, man. Just stopping people on the street, scaring old white people. <laughs> he is like that. I'm wondering if they're going to do this and then they're going to, con- after Marvel is over, that they're going to continue the classic with like the image, the Dark Horse, and the Devil's Do. I think they will not do the Dark Horse. People forget about the Dark Horse run like people forget about Terminator 3. It doesn't exist in a lot of people's minds. <laughs> well, that's when they tried to redo it, right? Reboot the whole thing? Yeah, they rebooted it and it was just G.I. Joe and then they did the G.I. Joe Extreme stuff, if, if memory serves me right. G.I. Joe Extreme was another just sad point in a lot of, and just, and any, every franchise has had that low point. Every, fr- yeah, every sure. franchise has had a low point, and for Joe, it was Dark Horse and G.I. Joe Extreme. G.I. Joe Extreme is so awful. I remember watching the cartoon thinking, oh, this isn't bad. I watched it on YouTube three weeks ago, and I said, what the fuck was I thinking <laughs> when I watched this? And what drives me crazy, this is what drove me crazy about it. I could barely get through the credits because, you know what, sometimes I can be cynical, but normally people who know me, I'm just a silly, silly dude, okay? I'm just a silly dude. I I love life. I love cartoons. I love comics. But when they're going through, when they're running the credits, when they're running the opening credits and stuff, the, I forget the uh, leader, I think the leader's name was Sergeant Stone, I think. And like every time he talks, he's like screaming because he's extreme. He's like, roll call. And everybody like yells out their names. And I'm like, y'all ain't got to yell. Y'all right here. You know? <laughs> and then right before it ends, they're like, G.I. Joe Extreme. And he's like, we're extreme because we like it. Come on now. Did you really have to take it there? And, and the, the dude they fought was uh, the Claw, who looked like Cobra Commander with like a Raspberry Beret. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, this shit is awful. But back but, but in the 90s, boy, you couldn't tell me nothing. I thought that shit was great. Yeah. So, but, no, but now looking at it, I hope to never see anything Dark Horse Joe related ever reprinted. Be- This uh, film date made its debut in 1982. I can't explain it well enough, so I'm going to have to use a website uh, that's run by Greg Bellin. It's called 406northlane.com. Okay. It's a blog that's pretty much about everything pop culture, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of everything in between. 
But this explains how this is one of my favorite guilty pleasure films of all time, Megaforce. Huh. This is what, this is what Greg Bellin says about the movie Megaforce. Pure brilliance. <laughs> the story okay. about a rapid deployment defense unit that is called into action whenever freedom is threatened. How can you go wrong there? Throw in Barry Bostwick. Yes, you know the mayor from uh, Spin City. Oh, yeah. This is 1982, so this is a young, thin Barry Boswick with, like, big hair and, like, a blue headband wearing tight spandex outfits. Throw in Barry Boswick and spandex, guns, explosions, flying motorcycles, and you quite possibly, and quite possibly the worst green screen in the history of, well, green screen, and you've got (laughs) one great movie. Actually, it's complete crap, but that's the whole point of his, he had a guilty pleasure movie list, and that was the whole point of this list. He says, I remember seeing this one in the theater and playing Megaforce on my big wheel for weeks afterward. Believe it or not, there are actually some name actors in this movie, or at least people you'd recognize. The aforementioned Barry Boswick, Michael Beck, Edward Mulhair from Knight Rider. Whoa. And Henry Silva all make appearances, and the beautiful Persis Kambata is there for eye candy. I'll never argue that this is a good film, nominated for three Razzies, but I'll tell everyone in my demographic that you need to experience this at least once. And it's the absolute truth. Dude, this is like the original version of of the G.I. Joe live action movie, okay? (laughs) This movie makes no fucking sense, okay? Not at all. Nobody dies. There are explosions everywhere. These cool ass vehicles. The whole the whole reason kids wanted to see this movie back in '82, including myself, were for these kick ass vehicles because Hot Wheels had a product tie in, mm-hmm. so you could buy Megaforce Hot Wheels toys, coolest vehicles ever for back then. Nothing happens. There's a nothing. Big, there no. There's a big battle at the end of the movie, but really, nothing nothing happens in this whole movie. The only thing there is there are good guys, there are bad guys. They're they're in this desert area. Somebody's held captive or somebody's not held captive. There's a border war. We don't know why. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, Barry Boswick is on this motorcycle trying to, you know, fly, you know, trying to catch up with the other guys who are in this like, you know, big um supply plane or whatever and they're trying to tell him to hurry up and he's on the motorcycle and then mm-hmm. the motorcycle like sprouts jet wings and it takes off and it takes off to try to catch up with the airplane that's taking off. Of course cargo, it does. The the cargo plane, dude, it is the worst green screen ever. <laughs> it is the worst green screen ever and these people had to really be acting to act like <laughs> they were all excited for this because dude the movie's fucking awful but <laughs> i love this movie i love it I, I, dude what, what, what do you love about it i mean is it just so damn cheesy that you it, can't stop watching it, is, it dude it is so cheesy it's so corny it's my gi joe it's <laughs> it's it's my gi joe for 19 from you know from from 1982 to me, that was it was just a fun movie. But anyway, back to Megaforce. The reason why I yes. love Megaforce, the vehicles. Ooh. They had the coolest vehicles. Now, granted, this is 1982, Ian. Yes. <laughs> so cool vehicles. They had like a bunch of missiles, just a bunch of weapons. And it's literally, dude, explosions for 15 minutes, nothing for 10. <laughs> explosions for 20 minutes, nothing for 10. <laughs> love scene for no reason because we have to have a love scene. And it's not really a love scene. It's just two people standing t- together and finally kissing. And explosions for 30 minutes. And then the big fin- the big finale battle. And Barry Boswick's character and Henry Silva, who's the bad guy. Dude, they have conversations in this movie like, well, you know, something could happen. I mean, 
I, I, I mean, I am the bad guy after all, and I should kill you, but I'm not going to kill you. you know, it's they just they, they have fucking coffee talk. It's like reading, <laughs> it's, it's like reading a fucking Bendis book. Oh, you went there. You had to go there. Oh man, <laughs> uh, dude, I'm, I'm fucking with you, man. I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking. I like disassembled, even if it did start off with coffee talk, dude. I, I, dude, I'm just fucking playing. Seri- I know, I'm serious. I know, I'm, I'm just playing. But no, <laughs> yeah, dude, they like we'll sit and talk. For minutes at a time, I'm like, wait a minute, aren't you guys enemies? Mortal enemies at that? I, I will I will leave you on Megaforce with this one last thing, because Barry Boswick's character is Ace Hunter. That's his name. If that does not scream 80s bad action hero, <laughs> Ace Hunter. And he has a line that he says to Henry Silva before taking off and flying, you know, with his motor with his uh, motorcycle jet um up to the cargo plane. He tells Henry Silva. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Well, apparently the good guys never win in the 80s. talk with julian for a second and wrap, and wrap to the people about ants ants and because you know you've been on the show before and we kind of talked about ants but we didn't really get to talk about it talk about it your webcomic was glyph nominated as well right yeah man i lost a world of hurt what it's like man now that's a good that's a good comic that's a good one like though that's a good one i know i was like dang why gotta be up against world of hurt yeah world of hurt that ain't joint, no joke. that joint is like Freaking Rip Kirby, but f- with black people in it. It's like, <laughs> like how would defeat that? Like, yo, man, that book, that that comic is so cinematic. It's it's ridiculous how cinematic that comic is, yeah. man. It's beautiful. It really yeah, that's, is. That's probably the trillest thing. And I, I gotta, I gotta go dig through my ideas and pull out something to handle that. You know, counteract that gangster. You know, <laughs> I feel that's that made me feel like Jordan versus Magic or something right there. I need to go. <laughs> craft up some new stuff like i gotta get this ring oh yeah <laughs> world of hurt was was major man like when i first saw that i thought i was back in the 70s picking up a marvel premiere magazine so, yo yo you wish marvel was putting out work like that right now oh yeah oh, no, i wish no question what, why ain't he drawing luke cage comic right now back in the day luke cage comic yes you know what i'm saying yes with man. the with the daughters of the dragon it guest on i fist Yes, and, and every issue, and Luke and Luke Cage has to have the chain belt, the chain belt with the circlet <laughs> and yes. the yellow shirt, and Shang Chi pops up like every three, four issues. Oh, that would that would just be cause, fabulous. just cause. Yes, <laughs> but you get you, okay. Let's talk about ants, though. Okay, now can you tell folks what ants is all about and how it came about as far as the creation of the uh, glyph nominated ants? Okay, Ants is essentially a comic that satirizes pop culture, or really culture and everything, because I'll, I'll talk about politics or whatever's going on. But it, it talks about everything from a more urban perspective, because I felt, you know, when Aaron Magruder stopped doing Boondocks as a comic strip to do his show, you know, I'm not specifically trying to be the Boondocks, but there's a certain voice 
and comics that ain't been there. Web comics ain't had that voice neither. Like yeah. really, most of popular web comics is nothing but nerds talking about nerd stuff. Like they talk about games. They talk about like games that I ain't never play. I don't want to play. I want to play D and I want to play Magic. I don't know what I, don't, I barely know what a twenty sided die is. I learned what Cthulhu was in, in like two thousand eight. Like, <laughs> yo, in the streets, we play Madden, we play Street Fighter, mm-hmm. we play Tekken. Yes, that's what my characters play. They might shoot somebody in the face. They play Final Fight. They play Double Dragon. They play Ninja Turtles Arcade. Oh, you know, stuff like that. Classic. You know what I'm saying? Games where you need like a joystick and you can't talk trash over the internet. You got to yep. do it man to man. Yes. You had to go to the Amen. pizza man and play Street Fighter. You say something wrong, you might get smacked in the face. <laughs> yes. Because that was, that was grown man business. You go some places where they still got arcades. Some of these cats be on Xbox Live would never say the stuff they would say online if they actually had to see that person stand next to them. Mm-hmm. They might get smacked directly in the face. That's what my comment's about. Just crazy getting stuff. Getting smacked in the face. <laughs> like, getting smacked. Like, yo, where my egos at? So, you know what? We lost egos. So, I had to make a story on why we had no egos. Because some guys had to get smacked upside the forehead. Like, yo, our egos is out. I want breakfast. Why well, I ain't got breakfast? Yo, we're going to go to Asgard. Something got to happen. Mm-hmm. You know that's what my comics about, and I made up. I made up the answer ninety four. I was like fourteen, hmm. so like I think I saw a picture of Scud, and then like I was making. I was talking to friends. We was like, we should make a comic book, and then, like I made up some characters, and they made up some characters, and I was drawing them in like English class, and then I just kept drawing them, and then when I got to college, I did them as a senior project and some strips, and then like. They were kind of like my age then, so that deal with like stuff I was doing with college, like moving into dorms and mm-hmm. silly stuff like then. And then you know I put those away. Then I met Sean, and we were talking about comics. And then like around 2005 or something, like he was still down south, and he had his little site, fast food in them, and we did some strips for that, which I was basically redoing my college strips. Right. And he had this other joint called Bluffed and Double Wides. Yeah, so and, that, was, uh, that was actually our first foray into web comics. Yeah, that's for everything blew up. That's for like podcasts and everything. So like we did a couple, and then like you know we kind of like life got in the way. He got married and moved back up here. You know stuff happened. So then I was like, (laughs) stuff happened. Dot dot dot. (laughs) (laughs) Like you get to now, and it's like last year. I was like, man, I really need to stop faking and do something because it's like I ain't never going. Like I can't talk about it forever. I ain't ever gonna get nowhere if I don't do nothing. So I was like, I'm just gonna do ants, and then I just did it. I have to go with GI Joe. Uh, I should have known that was coming. <laughs> I ha- I have to. I was a GI Joe fanatic when I was a kid. I used to watch the cartoon constantly. I remember when the first issue came out, it was sold out of every comic store around us. And there was this store. I don't know if they have them out where you are. It was called Mr. Amazing. No, we never had those. And it was basically like an odd lot type of thing. No, not ringing a bell. No, we never had Mr. Amazing. We we had odd lots. Right. Well, it was was like that. Okay. All right. But I remember when I was a kid, I went in there one time, I think, with my... My mother and I remember they had um, just on a magazine rack pushed to the side, like just a slew of comics 
that had just come out. I threw such a fit as a kid until someone took me to Mr. Amazing to see if they had that issue. <laughs> because no comic shop had it. I got there. They had seven of them. And my father goes, well, how much is this worth now? And I mean, honest to God, like I think issue three was out. And issue one was already worth like $25. Hmm. And they were selling them all for cover price, which I believe was $1.25. Wow. Yeah, and that was a real big deal back in the day. It was on Baxter Paper. It was one of the first comics that were on Baxter Paper. The first issue was. The rest of them were not. And he goes, really? They're worth 20 bucks." He bought like five of them or six of them. I only have one. He has, to this day, the other ones. Never read, still in a bag, in a drawer somewhere. That's Hey, if they're well taken care of and they're in good bags, that's that's some good money. Yeah. <laughs> the one I have is this. <laughs> I think it's the cover's barely hanging on. Oh, that's like my G.I. Joe silent issue. You do not understand. I bought that from a Dillman's grocery store when that came out. It was pristine when I got it from Dillman's. I've read that, I read that book so many times. I even lost it for two years at my grandma's house because my uncle collected comics too. And somehow I got in his collection, lost it, got it back, and I read it more and more. It's dog tagged. Once again, dog tagged. It's marked. It's got the wear and tear. Trust me. It's been through the storm. But I will never let that issue out of my hand. I will never let it go. No. I'll never let it go. That was the one that was the beginning of the origin of Snake Eyes. And I believe there was a lot of stuff that happened in G.I. Joe, like comics-wise, that they really tried in that comic. Yeah, which is pretty amazing seeing how uh, how Larry Hama had to deal with Hasbro every single month. Issue number one was one of the first comics, Baxter Paper. Okay. What was it 22 was the silent issue? I thought, it was, I thought it was 21. I may be 21? wrong. 21? No, you might be right. You might be right. That was one of the very first silent issues in comics. And it told a hell of a story, too. Exactly. This guy built this entire toy line slash universe up from scratch, man. And it was just like, what? Are you kidding me? And it's like, now, come on. Seriously, as it got on and on and on. And, I mean, how are you going to try and make a character like Quick Kick serious in a, in a, in a special forces operation? <laughs> or, or better yet, have like character names like, uh, see, was it? Wasn't like Spirit's real name, Charlie Iron Knife? Yes. <laughs> see? And, oh, yeah. Well, see, I love, well, I, I love the 80s because everybody was offensive in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was just, and it was okay. Yeah. A stalker like, was like in a, in a Detroit street gang. Yes, of course. And like, because, you know, he, the guy's, Spirit was Indian. Why wouldn't his last name be Iron Knife? Or better yet, you know, why wouldn't his nickname, code name be Spirit? Right, exactly. It's... <laughs> Right, and of course, you know, Stalker's a black dude. He must have been in the Detroit Street Gang. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, he he was down. And I, that's I, right. The, but I mean, some of the characters in the later the later issues, man. What was the dude's name that um, he was the Falconeer? I, I can't even remember if oh, he was you're talking about uh, the cat that was a part of Cobra. Yeah, that kind of looked like it had that red wolf hood type deal. Right. Yep. Yep. Can't remember his name for the life of me. Is it Rap Raptor Raptor Rap? I don't know. Or is that a Heat Man guy? I don't um, know. It's all blended together now. I remember that there was a commercial, which was a big deal back in the day. And mm -hmm. they always had one. Every few months, they had one for a Joe comic. One of the commercials had that guy in it. Because I want to say that was his uh, debut issue. Oh, I can tell you what issue it was. The cover. It was Cobra Commander getting away on a trouble bubble. Yes! <laughs> 
told you. I don't know why. Yep, you're gonna get, you're gonna quiz me, aren't you? Before GI Joe, Star Wars was a thing. You know what I mean? And then in what was it, '83, Return of the Jedi came out, and they stopped making Star Wars toys. Uh, I was still getting the Marvel comics here and there, but then GI Joe came out, and you were like, "What is this?" And then it was like, it seemed like almost every three months there was a new wave of characters. And they were getting more bizarre as the years went on, you know, until finally I just got, I was getting older and I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. You know, what, what special government special ops really needs a fireman? No, or better yet, what, what government ops squad has a ninja force? A ninja? <laughs> Scarlet in like this jacked up green and yellow ninja gear. Ninjas are supposed to be stealth. You are as bright as a glow bug. <laughs> I can see you from another state. This is not going to work. She was camouflaged for like a new wave concert in the 80s. That's oh, what it was. Oh, yeah, Everything was, was neon in the 80s, man. Oh, yeah. If she went to a new shoes concert, she'd be all right. <laughs> I think I dig the fact more now that, that the Avengers are in the forefront in the Marvel Universe. It just has like that sentimental spot in my heart, so I'm like, I can allow that now. The books back in the day with Mighty Avengers, you know what? Like when it was called, it was Avengers, but they put the Mighty over top of it. Mm -hmm. I used to love that book, but go back and look at the teams they had back then. I love the fact that Captain Marvel was able to lead the team for a while. But look oh, at yeah. look at look at some of the teams she had. There's a picture. I was pulling out some of my comics a couple of weeks ago. And it was one of my '80s books. I can't remember which one it was. And there was an ad, and this was right before they were about to break down the team and start all over again. And the team was Thor, and it was Thor with that big beard and the helmet that had like the uh, mask oh, over he, his face. Yeah, because he had to wear that special armor because Hel Hela Halia put a. a a curse on him okay and his his bones were brittle ah, so if, okay. he, if he didn't <laughs> this is an awesome Th thor story if he didn't wear his magic armor then he was basically like the dude um he was basically like Sa samuel jackson from unbreakable oh <laughs> <laughs> see now i got that scene where he fell down the uh fell down the stairs in the subway or that is in my head. i just want to talk Blah, 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 blah. And he just kept yelling the whole time down the steps. And I'm trying not to laugh, but because of Samuel L. Jackson and he loves to yell, I'm laughing. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad because I'm the only person in the theater that's laughing. Thankfully, there are only five people in the theater when I went to go see it. So um, it was I didn't feel as guilty. But no, um, it, was, it was that Thor, Black Knight, Namor Rita, Namor, Captain Marvel, Dr. Druid. There you go. I was waiting for it. Oh, God. I mean, that team was just dreadful. You get this is the squad you give her. People are supposed to be afraid of these folks. I'm like Thor, cool. And Black Knight was half crazy. You know, he he couldn't kill yep. anything with a sword. If he did, he loses his mind. And I was just like, this team is just terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when they did the storyline, like if uh, the Ebony Blade even touched like a drop of blood, it would drive him insane or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, you didn't. I'm sorry, but if if that's the case, why don't you just put down the sword, dude? <laughs> All right, you know, like really, you could be like the black something else. Okay? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, look, there are only so many robots you can chop up. Eventually, <laughs> you're gonna have to cut somebody 
But so Dane, Dane Whitman, I'm like, Dane Whitman needs to get on his job, get another sword or something and just go about his business. Those were those were bad books. But see, I could laugh about that. It just enjoy that. Now, I would never buy them again. Oh, I got a whole box of them up uh, in my <laughs> attic, man. You know, that, I just remember that one cover where they're trapped inside the little cosmic cubes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got that one. I think I still <laughs> got that one. Because like that's the period of time where Captain America was the captain. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And that's when I really paid attention to uh, any time Cap would fight somebody in the Avengers during during that run. He would be giving a speech while whooping your ass at the same time. <laughs> and I mean, these were long-winded speeches, too. I'm like, how is he able to get two punches in? He's literally given three paragraphs and two <laughs> panels, and he is whooping the tar out of somebody right now. Oh, You can't mess with Steve Rossi. See, Bucky can't do that. I, 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 hey, I love me some Bucky, though. Bucky's hardcore. <laughs> oh, I like Bucky, too. No, I, I, I really like what Brew Baker's doing with Captain America. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's fantastic. But do, do you see how quickly we went off tangent? Yes. They have all these characters. They have all these wonderful stories. And some of them, many of them, you'll never see again. A lot of them I joke about. I joke about JLA Detroit all the time, but I loved JLA Detroit. JLA Detroit was one of the most racist books that was ever invented. Oh, it was, but you know what? I loved it. Every single piece of JLA Detroit I love. Vibe is a terrible character, but I the, love JLA Detroit. I was sitting there and I'm like, I didn't think that they could top racist dialogue from like Black Lightning. <laughs> and then what, 10, 15 years later, they're like, you know what? We're going to make this character Vibe. Vibe was really, really bad. I remember when he died, uh, when he died. Oh, that's a, no, there's no need for a spoiler alert on that one. When he died in um, the JLA run, when they were closing down the book, because they killed, they killed Steel. Mm-hmm. They killed Vibe. They, Gypsy made it out okay and Vixen made it out okay. But when they killed Vibe, nobody was upset. And it was a very dramatic issue. And it almost made me care about Vibe. But when they killed him, I'm like, eh, I think this is a good thing. I think you really need to go away, dude. You really well, between between the costume and the, and, the, and the dialogue, I mean, come on. Every, every, every five pages, he was calling somebody amigo. And he would, what you doing? Chew. What you doing? They were real bad with that. With his yellow parachute pants. And that jacked up multicolored thriller jacket vest. Yeah. <laughs> and the Brett the Hitman heart sunglasses. Oh yeah, yeah, dude, this is bad. Not even, not even John Byrne can make Vibe look cool. Remember? No one can make John. Look, he's dead in Blackest Night, and it still doesn't look cool. <laughs> Although it did crack me up when the Justice League Unlimited animated series was on. <laughs> when they were in the watchtower, there's this quick like little zoom, you know, this little walk by. You see Vibe walking around. Yep. Oh, I laugh my ass off. <laughs> laugh my ass off. I've been dying to tell you about the greatness and overall just terrible, terrible, terrible. It's a, it's a terrible greatness. That's, that's <laughs> it's a it's a terrible greatness that I think everyone should watch at least once in their lifetime. That was my porno name. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a DVD uh, DVD set out called Saturday Morning Cartoons. It's actually a series of DVDs released by Warner Brothers, and they have a 1960s volume, a 1970s volume, 
I think one and two from both sets. And they just came out with the 1980s volume one. Oh, is that where they give you? It's like kind of like a sampler. You get a few cartoons from each. Yes. Like whatever is coming out. That Okay. All right. Yes. And I bought the volume one set. And the volume one set has a slew of uh, first episodes from a bunch of Ruby Spears, uh, Ruby Spears material, because Ruby Spears is under the, this stuff is under the Hanna-Barbera belt, as well as some Hanna-Barbera cartoons. One of these cartoons that I have to talk to you about today is the great Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. And let me tell you something about this cartoon. Oh, boy. This is the best worst cartoon I've ever seen in my entire life. More people need to see this. This was made in 1986. It's been said that originally this was supposed to be a Saturday morning cartoon that was supposed to be on CBS. And when the executives for the Saturday morning cartoon uh, lineup on CBS saw it, I think it was a lady, I can't remember her name, but she hated everything, anything to do with action, violence, and superheroes. She just did not like this stuff. And I'm sorry I can't credit her name because I just don't have it in my, in my notes at this time. This woman hated superheroes so bad that the Superman, the Superman cartoon to uh, celebrate the anniversary of Superman in the 80s during the John Byrne revamp, mm-hmm. um, she made sure that that got put, it, put in the earliest time slot possible so nobody could watch it. <laughs> she had the Standards and Practices board go so hard on this cartoon when Superman punched a robot the standards and practices people went back to the producers of the cartoon and said, change this because robots have feelings. Oh, no, she didn't. Yes, she did. Anyway, well. This w- is what it's like when droids cry. <laughs> but anyway. That was for Daryl. Oh, no problem. All right, man. go ahead. But <laughs> supposedly, supposedly, when they viewed the uh, Chuck Norris Karate Commandos pilot, they said it was so violent and so out of line that it would never air on CBS ever. So five episodes were made, and Ruby Spears said, screw it, we're just going to syndicate it, and we're going to show it for five straight days, one time. And this also had a toy line, too. The whole purpose of the cartoon was for the toy line. So without further ado, I'm going to tell you of this episode of Chuck Norris Karate Commandos that was on the Saturday Morning Cartoons DVD. The episode is called Deadly Dolphin. Okay, that's all. First off, that, that, if that doesn't get you hype, I don't know what does. And when the when the intro music and opening credits start, they say the name Chuck Norris, and you see Chuck like you know punching at the TV, you know, what I mean? and then it goes into like all these cutscenes from the cartoon. In the opening credits alone, the name Chuck Norris is said nine times. Okay, so you know it's all about Chuck Norris. And you also learn more about a, about his team, too. He has Pepper, uh, the teenage girl who's kind of a ninja and kind of not. Um, Reed. <laughs> yeah. How could you be kind of a ninja and kind of not? I, it, when you watch it, you'll see. Trust me. And then okay. you have you have Reed, who is Chuck Norris's teenage apprentice. You have uh, Tabe, the sumo, the stereotypical sumo champion who loves to eat food. You have oh. Short Round Jr. I mean, too much. Dude, this this kid looks just like Short Round. He even has like the Short Round hat, and every and, and every time he says something that's kind of too extreme, he says, "Oh, too much, too much." I'm like, really now? Can somebody kill this character? Shoot him, please, please. You you call him Doctor Norris. See, it, dude, it's that bad. I'm I'm for real. I'm dead serious. And then there's Kimo, the samurai warrior who only speaks in smart smart dialogue like Yoda, but his dialogue is not as crisp as Yoda's dialogue, nor is it as keen. Um, He says things such as, it takes more than a pack of rats to bring down a tiger, 
or sometimes to get rid of the cat, the bird has to invite has to invite him inside his cage. These are all no shit type <laughs> type quotes. You know what I mean? No shit type sayings. I'm like, dude, we know that, okay? Just speak English. Just just give me a regular sentence, please. It would be better if he had like something like that, but he had like Tourette's. Oh, dude, yeah. It would <laughs> Yeah, that, that 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 would make for awesome. So after the opening credits, it opens up to like a live action sequence of Chuck Norris in his personal gym doing some kung fu and he does like this high kick and then he turns to the t- he turns to the camera and Chuck's got like this red gi on with a black belt and he's just got that Chuck Norris swagger and th- and this is what he says to the camera this is what he says to the camera and he's and he's reading a teleprompter like nobody's business you just see them eyes going back and forth sometimes the things we want most are the hardest to get that means you have to be even more determined to succeed but that's what it takes to be a winner you have to want it bad enough to stick with it no matter how tough things get. And things got pretty tough for us down in Florida with the deadly dolphins. And then it cuts to the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm being dead serious. It cuts to the cartoon. Was what's her name? Christy Brinkley working out in a total gym in the background while he was making that big speech? I, I, was, I was trying to find her. I was trying to, <laughs> zo- I was trying to zoom in to see if she was around anywhere. But this was 1986. Oh, so, she was still living off that Billy Joe money. Yes, she was. Okay. So it starts off, they're somewhere on some type of coast, somewhere, because they don't specify. I don't know. They said Florida. So they're on the Florida coast. They're in like this like this um, boat, and there's a doctor that's, on, that's sitting on the, um, on the, on the uh, on a sand dune with a computer, and he's telling um, Chuck Norris and his team to like take these dolphins down 20 feet, 60 feet, and do all this other stuff because they're doing some research. As, as for why, I don't know, but it's Chuck Norris. He does what he wants to do. <laughs> I need to do research on these dolphins for my dojo. Yes. And so Dr. Sanford says, go and take these dolphins out here. Well, little do we know that the bad guys, an organization called Claw, with a dude named Claw. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. It was Dr. Sanford? Dr. Sanford, yes. Did he talk like Did he talk like Red Fox? No, he did not talk like Red Fox. <sighs> that would have made it really awesome. You big dummy, take the dolphins down <laughs> 60 feet. But... <laughs> Tag that dolphin, you big dummy. <laughs> but no. That little sumo kid's so ugly. Why'd you stick your face in some dough and make some gorilla cookies? <laughs> See, that would have made it even better. That would have made it even better. So, anyway. So, they're taking the dolphins down, right? And while all this is going down, the bad guys show up. There's a submarine which has this villainess by the name of Angelfish. And it, that's, the, that's the character's name. Uh, I'm, I'm not lying. And Angelfish, I guess, is like the bareness of this cartoon, but she has white hair, no glasses, and wears like a purple outfit because we are in the, in the age of neon ninjas, so everybody has to have bright clothing. Oh, boy. And in this submarine, she gets a message from the Claw, who is like the leader of, of the Claw organization, okay? Is it the dude from Inspector Gadget? No, 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 no. Might as well be, though. But Claw has like this like black and red outfit with like a yellow star in the middle. And his right hand is a big mechanical gold claw. And his homeboy, or his, or his side man, is Super Ninja, who sounds like a constipated Cobra commander. And wow. He's, and he's got a purple, red, and yellow outfit. Once again, if you are a ninja, you are not allowed to have bright-ass colors, okay? But anyway, so, like, so this claw dude tells Angelfish, hey, go kidnap the doctor because the doctor knows about this C-Lab that he helped build. Go get him. So while Chuck Norris and the Chuck Norris Karate Commandos are swimming with the dolphins, 
this sub okay <laughs> this submarine shoots out these like uh, these rockets that have like um, nin- like ninja commandos with laser guns yes you heard me ninja commandos with laser guns to the surface to go kidnap the doctor so chuck turns around you know when they finally resurface he turns the boat around and they go back to go fight the ninjas and try to get the doctor who eventually gets kidnapped anyway basically long story short what happens is they have to go save the doctor and once they save the doctor, the bad guys have already taken over C-Lab. And the whole purpose of C-Lab, the C-Lab can create, like, massive waves of destruction that can, can, that can destroy lands and all this other stuff. They even demonstrate it, which is just terrible. What ends up happening is, is that Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos end up saving the day. They end up stopping this machine and taking down the bad guys. This is the tally for Chuck. This is how powerful Chuck was in this episode, okay? He said how powerful he was. Okay, go okay. ahead. Okay. Number of kicks to the face. This is, this is, these are Chuck Norris's action stats for this pilot episode of Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. He kicked three people in the face. He kicked eight people in the chest. He crashed through or threw people through windows uh, two times. His name was said at least 15 times if you count Chuck Norris or Boss. The Chuck Norris logo was in the cartoon. I lost count after 40. Um, he threw one dude into the ocean. He crashed through three doors and kicked down a door. And he had four costume changes. In, a, in, a, in an 11 minute cartoon. 22 minute cartoon, sir. Oh, 22 minutes. And he, and he also was able to stop, st- stop this tidal wave gener- generator with like electric power surge and his mustache. This no, he is, did not. Yes, not he did. Yes. How did he shut it off with his mustache? Stop yeah. making up shit. Well, he just looked at it. And let me tell you something this is the best, worst cartoon I have ever seen in my entire life. I cannot express how much fun I had watching this because it is so over the top and so damn ridiculous. But this first episode is from the Saturday Morning Cartoons, the 1980s, Volume 1, which is out right now. And I'll talk to you as time goes along about some other thing, other cartoons that were on this DVD. But this also had a toy line. <laughs> With, and, and he had a Chuck Norris car. And everybody had like two or three different costumes. I'm um, for real. Everybody had two or three different costumes, which were evident in the pilot episode. And not only that, what was funny was, was that after the, the doctor got kidnapped... They cut to like this big jumbo jet, right? And I think it's the Chuck Norris jumbo jet. And they're inside the jumbo jet talking to this dude that's on a stationary bike. There's this dude on a stationary bike with brown hair. You never see his face. And he's just on the stationary bike talking to Chuck and the team. And supposedly he's the director. The director of what? <laughs> I don't know. And why is he on a fucking stationary bike? Why wouldn't he be? It he's may- working out. But he's got Chuck Norris. His total gym didn't come yet. <laughs> Dude, no. On top of that, where when they had, when Chuck Norris and the sumo have to break into the sea lab to save the rest of the team that got kidnapped because they went to go take down the sea lab. Number one, when you're breaking into shit, you do not bring a sumo. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it gets better. It gets better. They use the dolphins. They wrap up the dolphins in these like scuba vests, and these scuba vests have like wire cutters, rope, and weapons. And they use the dolphins to not get detected by Angelfish and Super Ninja because Super Ninja comes to, to the sea lab to say, you know what, I'm running this now. Um, come on, bitch, you can go ahead and leave um, because Claw told me to. So they, so like the cameras pick up the dolphins, right? And Chuck and the Sumo, they're both each under a dolphin, and they're like, oh, it's just dolphins. Let them go. The dolphins have on fucking scuba jackets with gear on them. If that doesn't tell you that something is about to go down, I don't know what is. I'm like, these are the dumbest motherfuckers I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, this is just bad. But what's funny is, what's funny is, is that at the end of the episode, at the end of the episode, it cuts cuts back to Chuck. 
okay? Live action Chuck in the red gi and the black belt. Mustache just all aglow. And he says, For a while there, things were pretty rough, but we won. We won because we didn't give up. If we had, the claw would still have C-Lab. Now, I know you're not going to have to go against the claw, but the next time things get tough, you mess up on a test or lose the game, don't let it get you down. Don't give up and you'll be a winner. See you next time. Anywhere in this episode, were there deadly dolphins? No. The dolphins helped Chuck and the team. How the fuck were they deadly? Can someone explain this to me? Shouldn't this have been called the Deadly Sea Lab or Underwater Danger? The episode was called The Deadly Dolphin, and the only thing the dolphins did were, were assist Chuck. So how were they deadly? I don't know. <sighs> but it was one of the greatest cartoons I ever watched. Dude, Chuck Norris took down three security guards. He had a staff. He, he ran toward the security guards, planted the staff, and did a spinning kick and kicked all three of them in the face. Wow. This is the greatest. This is one of the greatest, worst cartoons I've ever seen in my entire life. Just from this one cartoon, I have been able to connect it to Inspector Gadget, Sanford and Son, C-Lab, and because it took place in Florida, the Golden Girls. <laughs> and thank you for being a friend, sir. <laughs> This is my biggest issue sometimes with some of these, you know, with, with some, you know, licensed properties outside of the Marvel and DCU. Because Marvel characters and DC characters are also licensed properties. But anytime you do it with licensed properties that come from cartoons and movies, sometimes you'll get that art that it's, I just expect more. Or I expect the same level I get out of reading a top-notch comic from somebody else. Right. It, it wasn't Al Milgram art, and I, then I'd be really disappointed. But um. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I should not. I should not pot shot uh, Al Milgram like that. But he hurt my heart after he took over the Hulk after John Byrne left, and John Byrne left. You know, with like that real big story, and back in the '80s, and I was all excited, and then I'll go pick up the next. <laughs> and then I go pick up the next issue and. I see Al Milgram art, and it just hurt me because it just took me out of the story. And then, you know, I, I was excited because, you know, Secret Wars 2 was coming out with John Byrne covers, and I open up the book, and it's Al Milgram artwork. I'm like, oh, no, he's probably just in for the first issue. It'll get better. No, he was there for the whole run. You know what? I'm calling bullshit. I, you know what? What? You know how many projects Marvel had him doing at that point in time in his career? You're yeah. lucky he didn't get stick figures. <laughs> Yo, man, look, Sal Buscema, Sal Buscema could draw and lay out seven books a month, and they look good. But not everybody is Sal Buscema. I agree with that. <laughs> and I know everybody's not Sal Buscema, and Al Milgram's a perfect example of that. <laughs> I'll, I'm for real, man. Look, you put Al Milgram on inks, I'm good, okay? I'm good. I don't mind his inking, but his art, it just, you have to put Al Milgram on the right project in order for it to shine. Some people, man, you put them on anything and it shines. But that dude, man, he's a funny guy, nice person, but I'm sorry. I just could not feel it. It's just like West Coast Avengers. I remember getting that limited series as a kid with the Bob Hall interiors. Cool story. Then they become a team. First issue, I run the comic book store. Big-ass Al Milgram cover. Iron, the Silver Centurion Iron Man looked like an egghead in a metal shell. Hurt. Yeah, but you know what? You, you can't blame him. That, that was just the armor. No, dude. No, man. Mark Bright made the Silver Centurion armor look off the chain. Off the chain. I do, man. Al, Al hurt me. I, you know, mad props to his work ethic, but he hurt me, though. 
But I'm sorry, I've once again derailed the show. You will not believe what I found yesterday while um, digging through uh, the uh, closet. And I popped open one of the boxes because I didn't know what was in it because I was looking for, I was looking for, I think like I accidentally left some comics in one of, my, one of these uh, toy boxes. And I found my quote unquote limited edition 100th Batman from Kenner. Have you, what? Yeah. You remember when Kenner was like putting out all types of Batman action figures, whether it be the animated series or Legends of the Dark Knight and all that yes. stuff? I used to have like a slew of those. I mean, a slew. Know, like Snowsuit Batman, McDonald's Batman, Long John Silver's Batman, you know, all of them. And the 100th edition came out. And I remember my dad got it for me as like a birthday gift or whatever. And I put it away. Little did I know I put it away in this box. Let me tell you something. That is the shiniest looking Batman I have ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. I mean, he is shining. I mean, it's like a glow, bu- a glow bug type shine. And he's got the biggest Batarang in the history of Batman toys. The bank, the, the, the Batarang is the size of my thumb. Mm. I mean, dude, he could rip a car in half with this Batarang. But it's awesome. Uh-huh. Though. I, I love it, though. It's super shiny, but I think it's awesome. But I, I just wanted to bring up that, that bit of geekery. Neon Ninjas. Neon Ninjas, baby. Neon Ninjas. You know, that, that, that sounds like a, that, <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, Neon Ninjas sounds like a new cartoon series on Cartoon Network right now. Let's do it. Neon Ninjas. They're bright and they know how to fight. Oh, shit. <laughs> you think I'm, I'm writing that shit down right now. Do it. Do it. We got to write stories. We got to come up with characters. <laughs> you know, because see, this will be the project that we don't give a damn about. So yeah, it, it will make it's going to wind up being bigger than the turtles, bitches. <laughs> now premiering after Chowder, Neon Ninjas. <laughs> after Ben <Brim> Tim. <laughs> and that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at HHWLOD.com and is also available via iTunes, and you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.